Empire podcast this week. This is Butler! As the star of Hunter Killer, Gerard Butler drops by for a chat. And this is Curtis! The legendary Jamie Lee Curtis chats about the brand new Halloween, which could also be called Hunter Killer, now we think about it. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that still thinks the most terrifying Michael Myers movie this century is The Love Guru. Oh, scary. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, and I want to know about their preparedness for Halloween, not just in terms of like what happens if a big, scary, masked killer comes around your house. Well, what do you do? How do you celebrate Halloween? Uh, first off, I'm joined by our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, who will presumably be mounting some sort of supernatural Hamilton mashup musical type thing. <laughs> Obviously, I will be watching Supernatural a lot yeah. because I, it's it's got a lot of Halloween stuff. I also actually went to the witchcraft and magic and ritual exhibition. Witchcraft? Uh, yes, at the Ashmolean. No. And... Witchcraft? Did you... Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who's on the... first? <laughs> that was, wow. That was, that was probably the worst version of it. I know. That was, there was, <laughs> that no was bad. That was wow. Terrible. Anyway, I went to the exhibition at the Ashmolean in Oxford and if if you are into scary weird things, yep. highly recommend it. Dried human hearts, mandrake roots carved in interesting shapes. I, I it's have a dried there. human heart. <laughs> but I, it's we inside know you your do. chest. I, I, I have a mandrake root. Please don't. Oh, no. Please do not elaborate. Oh, so, no. um, so I'm totally ready. I've been to... Uh, I used to go to that website, Return of the Zombie Pumpkins, to get my patterns to carve into my pumpkins, you know. So I'm, I'm set, man. Again, not a euphemism. Not a euphemism. Not an a actual euphemism. thing actual that people pumpkin. do. Actual pumpkin. Actual mm. uh, pumpkin. We're also joined by the lovable ball of fur, the board game guru, who is... Hang on, let me just roll a six. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like board games that involve dice. Doesn't like it. Dan Jolin, how are you? I'm very fine, thank you. Um, I, I don't like board games which rely on dice as a mechanism. Oh, certainly not six-sided mm-hmm. dice. Yes. Oh, D20 or GTFO. Yeah. D20 or GTFO, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I hosted a, the premiere of The Last uh, Witch Hunter. Obviously, I was very dialed into it, so, I, you know, so much I can't really remember the name of the film. So, and uh, I made a boo-boo on stage in front of uh, Finn Diesel. Uh, I referred to six-sided dice, and he went, he went, 20-sided dice is what I use. And I was like, oh, okay. Venom right, was there yeah. too. That's good to <laughs> know. That's Vin Diesel. Hello, I'm Vincent. Okay. Although right. he, he, sh- he should have said D20s. Yeah. D20. Yeah. I love D20. But speaking of those, I will be uh, spending Halloween playing Dungeons and Dragons. So there you go. Oh, you Which, wow. absolute nerd. On as, brand. As everyone knows, Dungeons and Dragons is only played by people who worship the devil. <laughs> What? Yeah. Well, hang yeah. on, they left that out of this exhibition yeah. I was at. They didn't mention that at no, all. Can you remember it was which, a big, which big exhibition scare. was that? The witchcraft one. <laughs> Never mind. Which exhibition? Yes. Witchcraft. That, the, there. <laughs> there was a big scare in the 80s, uh, mainly in America, which uh-huh. was obviously driven by the Christian right, who thought that Dungeons and Dragons meant that their children were basically parlaying with Satan or whatever. Is that whatever. because they never got home? <laughs> oh, that was really sad. What? Both the joke and the cartoon. <laughs> oh, Dungeons and Dragons, okay. the cartoon. Uh, like Sam sorry, Beckett, they I, never got Here's home. a question. Why did Venger only have a horn on one side of his head? <laughs> Always bugged the shit out of me. Have uh, some symmetry. Because Tiamat ate the other horn. Oh, Tiamat. Tiamat yeah. was well cool. Yeah. What a what a show! I what like a everyone here. Apparently. <laughs> uh, very quickly before Dan stops talking, I'll introduce the third person who you just heard him speak there. Uh, let me just consult my notes. Uh, big introduction. Uh, James Dyer is also here. 
<laughs> Which is nice, I guess. Hi. Hi. You all right? I, I, I am, yeah. Uh, okay, let's stop talking now. Dan is going to uh, continue talking about Halloween, and then James will get to speak. There, there, there is a movie connection here. See, because this this big scare with Dungeons and Dragons, mm. uh, there was there was a real life incident that happened where where a kid disappeared uh, in a, into a kind of a fantasy world. Dan, that's Stranger Things series one. Don't be ridiculous. No, listen, listen, <laughs> bear with me here. Which got turned into the book Mazes and Monsters, which was a novel. Which got turned into a film made for TV, which was Tom Hanks's first ever starring role. So there you go. Six Degrees wow. of Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wait, what? Sorry, bacon. Six <laughs> Degrees of Bacon. It's, it's 666 Degrees of Satan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can link any actor in Hollywood to Satan in just 666 moves. You win the game. <laughs> that seems doable. Yeah, because they're all they all worship Satan, don't well, they? Well, no, the, but the, there was a Church of Satan that was active in Hollywood in the sixties. Um, Jane Mansfield flirted with it. All right, Karina Longworth. Right. As did um, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. What? Mm, not kidding. Okay. What? <laughs> really? Yep. Did Is, they think it was like a? I think they were just you know just they a were regular just, church. They were just intrigued. There was a bit of publicity hunger on both sides, both the church and them. Yeah. It was just kind of a lark, I think. But I yeah, brush, it was it was a thing. Had a brush with Satan uh, this week, right? Uh, in uh, I, I went up to the University of Lincoln to give a talk on journalism. I was uh, in Lincoln this week. Oh God, oh, were you yeah. now? Oh, we it's should like, hung out. It's you like, like come getting to my talk. It's like getting Jacko from Brushstrokes to give a talk on <laughs> the ceiling yeah. of the Sistine Chapel. I called it "Why You Should All Become Plumbers and Give Up Now." It was quite, uh, it was quite inspirational. I think, uh, I think they really took it on board. I mean, they all left the course, so that was. Uh, wow. That was good. Um, no, but but the, there was a, a girl in the front row who had like an inverted pentagram hanging around her neck during the thing, and I was just like, I, I, "What should I have? A ring of salt? Like, how does this? How does this? Like, what do I do?" Come here? on, as we all know from Buffy, a pentagram is actually a symbol of protection. No, but only if it's the right way up. This was yeah. inverted. This was. A, I, I think it was inverted. I could have been inverted. It was very hard to say. The talk went on for a long time, but uh, yeah, she 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 had a like with the little Satan-y thing. Did you ask what the star on the wall is for? Yeah, I was like, and the ring of candles is for every guest speaker or just for... Okay, fine. And those chickens, is that, is that my lunch or yeah. is that a, just, a, just a thing? What James was, doesn't realise is that he was actually who she summoned, you yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient spirits of evil, transform this guest speaker. And yeah, that was me. His real name is the Lord Asmodeus. That's, that's, that is actually what I, I go believe, by. I can believe his name would have the word ass in it, yes. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my street name. Asmodeus. Yeah. Uh, did you discourage these these young lanes from I did my best. entering this? I did my best, certainly. I gave it I gave it a I gave it a good old a good old try. Uh, I said, you know, run, run, Luke, run. Um, I was like, no, no, you should become journalists because, I mean, let's yeah. be honest, money is an outdated concept. It Wealth, home ownership, who needs these things? Yes. You know, far better to, you know, be prospectless and, you know, <laughs> uh, and unemployed. Uh, yeah. you know, and, indeed, and the big issue isn't going to sell itself. So, so yeah. you know. Pep talks from mm. James Dyer. I'm quite inspirational. It's like getting <laughs> Millie Vanilli to give a lecture on opera singing. Um, on the Halloween subject... <laughs> At the risk of playing too type, I hate Halloween. I hate everyone who does Halloween. I just I can't be dealing with it. So I, I, my, my tactics for Halloween are either turn off the lights and pretend I'm not in, or just be out. And this year, <laughs> I'm leaving the country so that I'm not here for Halloween. But you know wait, they have wait. Halloween in other countries, right? I don't believe you. You went to Universal Studios Halloween like blowout. 
Like, you love Halloween. Well, that's not technically on Halloween. I, I, I take your meaning. I quite like the horror houses and things like that. I get into that part of it. What I don't like it is when Halloween comes to me. <laughs> like, you know, when they come to your house. And like when I was a kid, going up to someone and asking for something under threat of violence was called mugging. And now apparently it's a celebration of a festive event. And I was like, no, this is you coming to my house and extorting confectionery, which, to all intents and purposes, from my point of view, is currency. This this reminds me of that episode of Parks and Rec where Ron takes two little girls trick-or-treating and quietly gives each person they trick-or-treat some money as they leave. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh. If they did that, I'd be all for it. No, no, no. Like, the, the person, yeah. Yeah, they if they paid me, if they came to my house and offered me things, that would be a far better holiday. I think that's called Christmas. You yeah. truly are a grumpy sod, aren't you, James? Thanks, Dan. Anyway, the Grinch is out in November, so... <laughs> no, he's, yeah. 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 He's right here. What do you expect from a demon from the ninth circle of hell? Listen, we'll be talking about Halloween, I'm sure, on next week's episode, which is just before Halloween. Uh, but the question, today's question, shall we get into it? Oh, sure. I don't know what it is. You it? guys don't know what it is, do you? Because no. uh, I'm springing it on you. I like that. Yeah, I would like to keep you on your toes. I'm springing this on you. It comes from Twitter, a uh, guy called, known only as Rob, at Lion O32, tweeted me the other day going, I saw Johnny English 3 last night. My condolences. Uh, it was fun. Oh, my uncondolences. And had quite a few laughs. But I'd say, this is Rob, not me. I'd say a truly hilarious comedy hasn't been made since the 90s. Specifically, and this is where Rob's thesis loses ground, Austin Powers 2 in 1999. What do you think? What was the last classic comedy? Obviously, I schooled him immediately. Yeah. But I wanted to save it for you guys as well and throw it open and uh, and ask you when the last classic comedy, the last really classic, era-defining, sucker Abraham sucker, Marx Brothers, Billy Wilder, that sort of level, comedy came out. Well, Hunt for the Wilder People is one of my all-time favourites. Um, uh, is it though? It is. No, I know, I know it is. Uh, <laughs> I know it is. Uh, Anchorman? Oh, obviously. please. Oh, please yourself. There's not a smile to be had in that drivel. You're uh, not a smile th- to be had. Nonsense. A man who on this podcast not two weeks ago admitted that he hates comedy and all manner of fun I feel this question should not be pitching in on this. I would say Borat. Oh, oh. Yeah, you gave that oh, five stars. Yeah, yeah, you had an asthma attack, didn't you? Yeah. I did. Because you laughed so yeah, hard. I had to laugh so hard. So funny it nearly killed Dan. Yeah. Did it, I've uh, just seen that on the poster. Did it nearly burst half the blood vessels in your face, Dan? So I've read. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so some hack put in the review. <laughs> Who would that be, Dan? That's not hacky. That's, that's, that's craft work. It is craft work, isn't yeah. it? With yeah. a K. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I will accept yeah. Borat. I will accept Anchorman, uh, which I think is the funniest film of the last 30 years. Oh. I also think that uh, 2004, the year that Anchorman came out, and this is where I schooled our good friend Rob, Dodgeball. 2004 Dodgeball. Mm. is the year of Anchorman. It mm. is the year of Dodgeball, yeah. as James it. says. It is the year of Bad Santa. It is the year it's of Sean... 2003. No, 2004. It is the year of Sean of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. What a year. What a time to be alive. Mm. I think Bad Santa came out here in 2004. That's why I'm counting it. So after Christmas. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. But it was up against Elf and Love Actually, I suppose, at Christmas. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we're missing a load of more recent comedies as well. But, but I don't think there's anything. I mean, we do in you the mentioned Love Actually, which of course is one of the all-time oh. great comedies. Oh boy, oh, that God. is wow. There, there is a, a oh, my word. that is indefensible. Yeah, I'll go to bat for Richard Curtis any day of the week. Richard, gone... Richard Curtis, yes. Love Actually, Richard Curtis. I, I, I reject your rejection of that film. All-time classic comedies. 
So what's funny about Love Actually? What, what makes you laugh about Love Actually? Weirdly, I don't think it's the comedy. I, I just, I enjoy it. <laughs> no, but it's not, because not all of the threads are comedic. Like, the, some of them are comedic and some of them are more dramatic. Some of them are very tragic. I just find the whole film quite sweet and touching. Uh, but Notting Hill and, uh, and Four Weddings are, are two of my favourite comedies. So, you know. Okay. I will, I, uh, I will accept Four Weddings, less so Notting Hill. Mm. You're very strange. Thanks. Why, you, why do you like Richard Curtis so much? I don't know. This, I think he speaks to the kind of, you know, middle class twat in me. And uh, I just, he, there's a romanticism to his stuff, which I think, again, just resonates. I really like that kind of romantic streak he's got. And I just think there's something quite uh, disarming about his comedies. Sorry, Whereas Anchorman, I just think is drivel. Uh, mean Girls and mean Team Girls, America were yes. both also 20, 2004. Mean wow. Girls is exceptional. That was a good year. Good year. Yeah. But again, good like year. Mean Girls, I mean, obviously it is a comedy, but in my head I kind of have it as teen movie but yeah it's, it's both uh, yeah I liked, liked Mean Girls a lot that's very very funny uh, I did like Dodgeball a lot because we quoted that endlessly so Dodgeball so for me much. is maybe one of the reasons I don't like Anchorman because they came out around the same time and Anchorman got all of the recognition and no one remembers that Dodgeball was objectively better and I think that bothers me um, okay uh, it's not objectively better it's <laughs> but, uh, but Chris, you know, Chris but does Anchorman have Chuck Norris in it no it doesn't No, end it, of you, argument you're absolutely right it has other people in it uh, instead uh, Anchorman is uh, a work of absolute genius Dodgeball is incredible Shaun of the Dead very good I mean, film. Not, I mean, and actually, do you know what? The first half is very funny. Yeah, but I think I it never. It gets darker. Yeah, it gets it gets so dark at the end that weirdly, I almost don't think of it as a comedy sometimes. What we do in the shadows? Well, I was going to say what we do in the shadows yeah. and in Bruges. I'm going to throw that one in. The there. mockumentary, I think. Yeah. <coughs> Thor Excuse Ragnarok. Me. Yeah, the mockumentary yeah. has been something we've seen quite a bit of in in comedy. So, what we do in the shadows, best in show, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, a Mighty Wind. Mm-hmm. A Mighty Wind was also really good, although I'd say I'd take Best in Show over that. Mm. Uh, the other the other but, guest documentaries weren't, weren't as good as those two. Oh, For Your Consideration is dreadful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actively dreadful. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't rate any of those as, as highly as, as Spinal Tap. That's a high bar. I know, but if mm. the question is classic comedies, mm. I'm not so sure that Best in Show uh, or Mighty Wind qualify necessarily but you know I'm happy to be proved wrong comedy is subjective as James is displaying <laughs> my favourite comedies generally are kind of drama comedies so it would be something yeah. like uh, like Ghostbusters like Beverly Hills Cop things like Trading Places and yep. stuff where yep. it's, they're not yep. overtly comedic but they are comedy but also you talked uh, when, when we had Dominic Monaghan on the podcast yeah. you were talking about how you don't like sketch comedy and Anchorman I can absolutely see why, why you wouldn't yeah. like Anchorman because that Anchorman is, is essentially a series mm-hmm. of yeah. heavily improvised sketches <laughs> strung together over 90 minutes but I yeah. love that sort of stuff I love surreal comedy I love mm. just mm. just daft left field gags and uh, Anchorman absolutely plays into that for me and listen I would go to bat all day as well for Anchorman 2 but I realise I am very <laughs> very much in the minority on so that one so isolated but on I, that. I, both versions the, 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 original, the original version and the version in which they replaced every single joke with a new joke because they had so many alts mm. very funny stuff um, yeah, I th- sometimes I feel the less plot a comedy has, the funnier it is. Like Airplane? Yeah, and mm-hmm. like Anchorman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, yes, when, when, you get, when you have to kind of like draw a line between the plot mm. beats, you, mm-hmm. you, you lose the opportunity well, for gags. I really that's the story. I don't like them. I think Airplane mm. actually has a plot. I think Airplane, they very carefully used the model of, like they literally bought the rights to remake. Was it Airport? Sixty-four uh, or something. No, it was, uh, uh, just Zero so they, Hour. Zero yes. Hour. Film so they zero had hour. so they had 
a structure there to use. And I think yeah. I, that, I, I kind of somewhat agree with James in that I like dodgeball more at the time because it has more of a structure. Yes. Um, Anchorman has grown on me through the years, so yeah. they're not in a part. But, um, but yeah, that's, there's a lot to be said for a little bit of plot. Just, just to yeah. hang the jokes upon, like a Christmas tree under the weight of my enormous collection of baubles. <laughs> the line uh, in Airplane, we need to find someone who can fly this plane and land it and who didn't have fish for dinner is actually from it's Serial yeah. Hour. So yeah. there's lots of lots of little uh, bits overlaid there. But yeah, it's so great. I, you know, listen, anyone who listens to this podcast for any length of time will hear me bang on about the other uh, said I said movies as well. So Naked Gun and Top Secret Top in Secret. particular, which is amazing. But that was pre-1999 and Rob's yes. question was, Post-1999, he mentioned Austin Powers 2 as his example. And this is, this is again, proof that comedy is subjective because I think that Austin Powers 2 is the weakest of the trilogy the by a country hacking. mile. Mm. By a country mile. It is lazy, it is derivative, uh, and Goldmember is a much funnier film, uh, even though it has a lot of the same riffs. Mm. There's just something about it. There's something about, I don't know, that just everyone seemed a little bit more on. So, Sean, there comes out in 2004. Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. 2007. Again, classic comedy. We're talking about Will Ferrell, Adam... Oh, come on, that's the best film. No, no, That's the no, best no, of the trilogy. No. It's, it's the worst. What? Hell, what? You're an idiot. What yeah. Fuzz yeah. is the worst? Yeah. This is just a collection of terrible opinions, yeah. isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I like the, Anchorman 2. You think Hot Fuzz the, is the worst of the trilogy. Surely Daddy's best. Uh-huh. World's End is second best. Uh-huh. Hot Fuzz is third. Dan, Dan, third. sure you're working no, out. Wow. No, I have to state an intervention here, Dan. I <laughs> am the purveyor of bad opinions on this podcast. You are not to come in here and take my fucking spot. <laughs> No. You two will have to fight uh, naked in front of a fireplace like uh, Alan Bates and Oliver Reed. For professional wrong person <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. In order to, to, you know, to get oh, this sort of Oh, it's such out. a shame I'm busy that day. Uh, I haven't told you what day that, it is no, yet. No, I'm definitely busy. I'm, I'm a very busy person. Well, we can we can schedule it around no, you. Just, no, no. Just I'm, let me know when you're free. I'm, I'm oh, let's literally... Do no, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Is it Close that off. time already? <laughs> oh, my God. Chris, Chris, pass me the butter. <laughs> uh, oh my in, god interesting fact uh, we, well, you know, you're not the only one who uh, can careen along with this podcast Helen O'Hara interesting, interesting fact interesting fact about that scene that wrestling scene between, in Women in Love between uh, Alan Bates and Oliver Reed that uh, I believe it was Alan Bates who uh, told Oliver Reed that uh, he should attend to himself shall we say before they before they shot that nude scene so that the his how can we say it member would be of a suitable how can I say this dimension flaccidity <laughs> no tumescence tumescence but you know so that he, he wouldn't it wouldn't be like a like a little pickle shrimp he should he should have a semi is, is the... no not a semi but it would oh, no you ruined my <laughs> metaphor this is awful it's so, a metaphor I don't know it's a, what is it a comparison a... you've ruined my my tasteful story of how Oliver Reed banged one out before he <laughs> right <laughs> he wrestled Alan okay. Bates and was this on the DVD commentary no, it was on the DVD commentary. Oh, oh for Christ's oh, sake. God. I literally saw <laughs> <Yes>. that. Sort <laughs> of like, down from your little brain to your mouth. There was a bit where... fall out of it. It flashed through his eyes. Should I? Should I? Should I? And then it was like, <laughs> we're going in. We're going in. <laughs> oh, dear. You oh. don't get that on. You should, must remember this, do you? Do you? Do you? No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Comedy over the last few years has really changed, I think, as well, because we talked about this in the podcast and in the uh, before, but the new wave of superheroes are as funny as any of the mainstream comedies that have been out over the last few years, yeah. I would say. Thor Ragnarok, you mentioned. Yes, Thor Ragnarok is hilarious. I would take that over many, in inverted commas, comedies mm. of recent years. That said, of this year, I will give a shout-out to Game Night, which I think oh. was genuinely oh. very good. I love yeah. Game Night. 
Love oh, it. Oh, of course you did. It was a fucking board game. No, no, actually, when it comes to board games, it's rubbish. Is their, their, their taste in board games is risible. Oh, I think and I would... Gloomhaven would have been a much yes. better choice <laughs> yes. for game night. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Or even well, Ticket to Ride or, or, you know, or, or Agricola. I mean, or, whatever. Or Catan or, or Pandemic. <laughs> I'd have taken Catan and that's obvious. And they didn't I mean, even obvious. have that. Christ's sake. Anyway, no, no, when it, it was board games. It's, it's amazing. I, it was funny. It was, it, yeah, it it was, was funny. funny. It was as, as a pastiche of an action movie. Rachel McAdams, comedy genius. Also, just on comedies, I'm trying to think of the films that have made me laugh most in the last few years. And uh, and, and some of them are Fast and Furious movies, which <laughs> yeah. are genuinely just... Like they're so improbable and so ridiculous that I, I, yeah. I genuinely have. Same had with same with the crank story. films. Like I, they, oh god, I, they yeah, they're hilarious. Destroyed me. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, and then I'd also like to give a shout out to Darren Aronofsky's film Mother, <laughs> um, which I genuinely had hysterics in the last ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think he, I don't think he sometimes. intended for you to have hysterics. I'm not sure. I think he might have sometimes. Yeah. There is a TV show starting next week called Sally Forever, uh, which we will be reviewing on the uh, Monday edition of the Pilot TV podcast. Cutting that uh, out, which you should uh, we should all download and subscribe to. But you stop talking because that's not going to make it in. It's really it, that's a really funny that's a really funny show, but it's one that I found very difficult to watch because it's one of those it's Julia Davis, isn't it? Yeah, but it's yeah. excruciating. You talk about comedy of embarrassment and how I can't deal with it. Yeah. there's a sex scene in this set to, to Powers China in your hand, <laughs> and. It is so graphic and so over the top and so, it is the most, it is the worst sex scene you've ever seen. But so much that I was on the tube and I was visibly shifting and squirming in my seat that the person like looked over to see what was wrong with me, looked at my screen and was like, oh my God. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's something you might enjoy. Wow, okay. I look, I look forward to listening to that on the Pilot TV podcast. It's going to be... A lot of fun. Are you on that, Helen? You on no, I've podcast? never been asked. Have you ever been asked? Yeah. Dan, you on the uh, pilot team? No, 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 no. I'm not. Yeah, um, but you know, right. that's cool. Is it cool? Dan? Yeah, that's totally cool. Totally cool. Is it cool? Totally cool. Yeah. You're, you're podest, yeah. all of you. Mm. Yeah, it would seem not. You know, it would seem seem like they're podest. Really. I'm just saying, you have a podcast. You want to <laughs> fight the big guns on? I'm just. We have a new theme tune as well. It's great. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah, we do. Bangly yeah. fucking bang. Can I just tell you what happened yep. at the weekend? Oh, of course you can. Um, so I was running a marathon in New York. Here oh, we go. Of course you were. Of course I was. And they had uh, they had a, a DJ uh, from a local radio station, ah, Minster yes. FM, was there mm. on the course uh, uh, about the 17 mile mark, and it was an out and about, out and back bit. And he was reading out the names of people as they went past, and he read out my name. And because I'm a big nerd, I went, "That's me!" And then and started to run on. And he then said after me, "Love the podcast, bangly bang." And when I came back down the course, uh-huh. sort of three miles later. And I went over and I said, thanks very much. That gave me a real boost. And and he said, you're welcome. Like the podcast, it's all good. Uh, I then kept going, obviously. And he shouted after me, you were right about Molly's game. It's not very good. <laughs> Just yes. think of Cap's beard. That'll get you through. Yes, I saw this. I saw this. So a special message from me to him. <laughs> Fuck you. That's oh, not very oh, nice. That's wow. not very nice. Molly's game is a four-star wow. film. I, I and that is the end of it. And I would like to give a, a, a big thanks. It was his name is Ben Fry. He's from Minster FM. You're on my and list, Honestly, ben. it helped. So you're a marked right. man. <laughs> He's right. Uh, let's not start that again. All right. Okay. So that's it for the little comedy discussion. Uh, I will mention Step Brothers. Step Brothers. Step oh, Brothers. Step Brothers. Just, Step Brothers. Only so gets better. Only it's gets the better. fucking Catalina wine mixer. Oh, I, it's the fucking I Catalina wine. Just mixer. don't find Will Ferrell funny. 
I'd like in anything. And I, I really struggle with it. I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I can see why he has a very pronounced, over-exaggerated brand of, 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 and style of comedy. Mm. But equally, if we take that into consideration, we must also take into consideration the fact you're an idiot. Mm. So, mm. seems fair. He's funnier yeah. than you. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> also, uh, a, a word for TV comedy, Parks and Recreation, yep. 30 Rock, um, The Good Place. Mm-hmm. Good Place, Susan Girls. Too. Silicon Valley. Dairy Girls. Uh, I haven't watched oh, Dairy Girls Silicon amazing. Silicon Valley. Um, but yeah, those can, are... But can, Rick and Morty. I, would, I would say Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which regularly reduces me to... Can we, can we take a second, though, to talk about The Good Place? Because I'm having troubles with the most recent season. It's, it's like three episodes in. Let's yeah, give it a chance. God, I know. I'm just saying, it feels like, you know, like you've, you've been dating someone for a long time, you're having a good... And then they go away on holiday. And then they come back and you're like... You've changed. You're just, you're just not the person I fell in love with. I'm really enjoying the Larry Hemsworth thing, though, so that's going to get me going. That was great. I think, uh, yeah, I, I share some of your concerns about where the season is going because I'm not entirely sure that they know where the season is going. <laughs> Obviously, they've shot the season, they've edited the season, yeah. it's, it's all done. But uh, this is the first time that I feel that they don't have a clear goal in mind uh, having said that it's still funnier than any sitcom on TV the great lines are yeah. there mm-hmm. and I spend all day with those characters and just have a great great time but it, I'm also hopeful that the today's episode which I haven't seen yet uh, is again one of those little reboots that the show does yeah. so often because it feels like they're setting up for one it yeah. does it does feel like I love way. the fact that even The Good Place made a gag about no one being in the journalism department at the university so. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly yeah. you've been there first doing a lecture and <laughs> yeah, exactly. just cleared the place out yeah, Good Place is fantastic, but I think it's having a slight wobble. A slight wobble. I think that's mostly the Australian accents, and I'm, I'm very hopeful it'll get back yeah. on track very, very But like soon. a weeble, maybe it will wobble, but not fall down. <laughs> Thanks, James. <laughs> oh, it's a fucking Catalina wine mixer. If you want to have your... If you... If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. As Lionel 32 did, he also just tweeted me directly and uh, and raised my ire sufficiently to make it on this week's podcast. I hope you've been sufficiently schooled, Rob Lionel, if that is your real name. Uh, where else are we on? We're on Facebook as Emperor Magazine, and we're on email podcast at empireonline.com. All good. All good. Should we have a guest? Yes. Let's have a guest. Uh, who is it? Who have, I, who have I gone for first? Oh, yes. Time now to welcome a true legend to the Empire podcast. 40 years ago, Jamie Lee Curtis made her mark on the big screen by surviving the murderous attentions of Michael Myers in John Carpenter's Halloween. She went on then to star in the likes of Trading Places and True Lies and Fish Cult Wanda. Great, great movies. But has also reprised the role of Laurie Strode on four different occasions. Halloween 2, Halloween H2O and then Halloween Resurrection. We thought that was the end of her because she got bumped off in that film. But no, this week's really confusingly titled Halloween brings her back as Laurie Strode facing off with Michael Myers for what may be the final time and it wipes out the other films. Takes them out of continuity. Retcons, if you will. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came into London a couple of weeks ago and we had a good old natter about all kinds of things. Do enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of John Carpenter's Halloween and now, just to confuse matters, David Gordon Green's Halloween as well. Jamie Lee Curtis. Hi, everyone. (laughs) I know, right? I know. It's confusing, but it's not. Go see the movie. It won't confuse you at all. Absolutely. They are are very different movies. They're very different. They're linked. 
It's a beautiful yep. bookend. It is. It is. Do you see it as a bookend or do you see this as the, the beginning of a new chapter in a way? Well, that's not up to me. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, that's above my pay grade. That's a- um, my, my pay grade is to interpret uh, what's in front of me yes. and not the future. I think it's a bookend because this movie directly links to the movie that happened in 1978. What Mm -hmm. happened to Laurie Strode, October 31st, Mm -hmm. 1978. Mm -hmm. This is a movie that we look at what happened to Laurie Strode for all of those years and what happens to her and her family and the community of Haddonfield on October 31st, 2018, 40 years later. And of course you have played Laurie Strode Five times now. Yeah, but the five times is, again, irrelevant. For the storytelling that we are focused on, there's the movie that happened in 1978, and then 40 years later, what happened to her in 2018, and the intervening years, what happened to Lori, which is what we learn Mm. through, weirdly enough, British (laughs) documentary podcasters. It's a really clever invention of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and Jeff Fradley, who are the writers, to include what has become now a ubiquitous trope, which is British podcasters <laughs> uncovering, exploring, uh-huh. un, to, to use the now oft-used term, unpacking yes. the history and lore of what happened in Haddonfield in 1978. Mm -hmm. And by using these journalists, Mm -hmm. and I say that with a lowercase (laughs) j, we get to hear the history of what happened to Laurie Strode without having to see it. I must have brought back some memories for you when I came in here, shuffling around with my recorder and being slightly uncomfortable with the recording and... And yeah. them in the movie? Yeah. 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 Um, there's, there is, I mean, look, it's a new, it's a new art form. <laughs> and the beauty is that a new art form can be created. Yes. Out of necessity and out of uh, a zeitgeist uh, evolution. Yes. So podcasting, documentary film crewing, people re-examining crimes, true crimes, and the trauma of those crimes, Mm -hmm. the trauma of maybe the possibly innocent people in prison and the trauma that they go through. Mm -hmm. I think everybody listening to this podcast, everybody who goes into the movie Halloween understands that Michael Myers is not behind bars with a chain around his waist like Bill Cosby. Thank you, God. (laughs) Without reason. Yes. There isn't a question about his guilt. It's unequivocal. It's unequivocal. And yet, there is the new art form of the... Um, revisiting it to learn, as they say, new insights. And mm-hmm. Lori looks at them and go, there are no new insights. You know, it's just <laughs> a, it's a, it's like good effort. Good on you for trying. Yeah, but precisely. You know, you know, and I know there are no new insights Indeed. to what he did. But the reason I said that you played Lori five times was because this feels to me, anyway, watching this, that it almost feels like you're playing her again for the, the, the second time. 
But you well, played you played Laurie for the first time in John Carpenter's movie, 1978. But you shot it in 77, I'm guessing, or did you shoot it in 78? We shot it in March of 78. So you you shot it in 78, and then now you're shooting it this movie as well. It was made in 20 days, babe. 20 days, yeah. I mean, it was shot in March. The movie came out. I mean, we were shooting scenes for this in April. <laughs> came out. It's coming out in October. I mean, movies get made pretty. Um, by the way, True Lies. Yeah. Was shot from August till April, and the movie came out July tenth or something. Wow. I mean, seriously. Wow. That's Jim Cameron. That's Jim Cameron. But I mean, yeah. we were shooting that long. Yeah, yeah. And we finished in April, and the movie came out in July. So yes. it's yeah, movies get made pretty quickly. They certainly do. So, but, but like I said, this this feels in a way that like this is the true sequel, obviously, to the first Halloween, and this is a very different Laurie than we've seen in the past. Halloween two, she's obviously traumatized. It's right away after the first movie. H two O is his own thing. Resurrection, I, I think you did no, in but, a way. Just but to again, put, there's no need to even refer to them simply yeah. because those movies have zero mm-hmm. zero relevance to this movie because if they did it would confuse people and we are not trying to confuse people this is the true sequel Mm -hmm. because it is in a way the only sequel Mm -hmm. to the story because we are telling the true sequel and the truth sequel is that trauma Mm -hmm. is like rust Mm -hmm. it spreads and covers your entire life until it is removed through hard work care, uh, support, and or the facing of the perpetrator. And our movie talks about Laurie Strode and what happened to her in 1978. And she had nobody. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to you is you become calcified Mm -hmm. and rusted and and paranoid and a prepper and it you perseverate and perseverate and perseverate over this idea of this refacing him every day and to the extent that you lose your relationships mm-hmm. you lose your family mm-hmm. the state come and takes your child mm-hmm. you have no friends mm-hmm. and you live in total isolation with this mono focus that Michael Myers is coming back and he's coming back for me and I have to be ready and I have to protect my family and I have to teach my child and that's the only thing that's important and that's the woman we had to see in order to tell this new story. I think it's actually really, really a timely film. This feels like a, it is a film about a, a woman who gets to face down the monster who affected her deeply in her youth, in her childhood, basically. And that feels like something that is absolutely speaking to what is happening right now. And what is happening right now was written after our movie. Often art precedes um, action, and sometimes action precedes art. Sometimes there's big social change and then art comes from that. Sometimes in the ether, you know, Bill Cosby's accusers were talking about this a long time ago. Um, Harvey Weinstein's accusers began in that article with Ronan Farrow, August of, I believe, 2017. This movie was written prior to that, prior to all of that. And yet it had to be in the air. Our movie is not a Me Too movie. It's not a political movie. Um, this isn't um, a political statement, but it ca- we can't 
escape the fact that it is about women who have been brutalized who take back the narrative by fighting back for their narrative. And it's interesting that that's occurring. It's interesting that it, it, it was occurring while we were filming, so it wasn't lost on any of us. And that David, Danny, and, and Jeff had originally intended the movie to be about three generations, um, talking about generational trauma, mm-hmm. and that that in itself says that they were feeling in the universe the effects. And so we'll never know unless you and I are super, like, really fastidious podcast journalists and we go and quit our jobs and go around (laughs) the world and try to find out what that first raindrop before the deluge. But the article that Ronan Farrow... Mm brought with those six women I think it was who who went on the record and that being on the record Christine Ford went on the record at great personal risk and look at what's happened look at the way people have and then every time somebody jumps on her and says well you this happened and you never said anything and now all these years later and now all these women famous women Women in sports and women in politics and women, women in the news media, women in the arts are standing up going, I was raped when I was 17 years old and I never told a soul. Like all, I, I'm, that didn't course, happen to Jamie, course, by yeah. the way. Yeah. That, I'm saying women now are saying abuse that occurred when they were young that they never said a word about because the question was, well, why, aren't, why didn't you say a word about it until now? And now... And a a wave of women Mm -hmm. are going to start to talk about the silence that women were kept under. Silence Mm. because of the shame. That famous quote from Network keeps going through my head. I'm a mad as hell. hell, I'm I'm not not going to take take it it anymore. anymore. You know what? I don't know if you saw Hannah Gadsby's Um, brilliant show, Nanette. I mean, there it is again. Like she leads you along and then she says, no, this is what really happened. I don't want to ruin it no, for course, the people who haven't seen it. I mean, haven't seen it and heard it, but it's a fantastic um, examination of self-deprecation, self-hatred, mm-hmm. and shame, yeah. and what shame does to a person who's young. And that's really what all of this silence is about, is the shame. Is Laurie driven in some way by shame? I don't think she was shamed. I think she was turned into a freak Uh the day after this attack and she went back to school. She left school on October 31st. Smart, interested, curious, romantic, willing to raise her hand and answer questions, crushes on boys, singing a song, walking down the street, I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us, romantic ideals. She was chased, and I mean chased, meaning physically chased, and she had not succumbed to her hormones, and yet she was a dreamer, and in one night of horror and terror, that was stripped from her, and the girl that emerged... Even though she fought back, even though she survived, the girl that emerged back at school November 1st was a freak. 
she walked down the halls. People whispered, oh, my God, there's Lori Strode. Oh, my God, look at her. Oh, my God, there's Lori Strode. Nobody would go talk to her. Or if they did, they were like, hi, Lori. Because nobody knew what to say because nobody had the language to help her. Mm-hmm. And what you end up becoming like Lori Strode is I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the more you say you're fine and the angrier you get, the more people run from you. And then that's the woman that we meet 40 years later. And we talked, last time we spoke, we spoke at length for Empire Magazine. And you talked about a scene that you shot that uh, that ended up being very emotional yeah, for yeah, you, yeah, very yeah. moving for you. It's yeah. a scene in the uh, the pickup truck. We, we, well, it, well, well, but the reason it was emotional mm-hmm. was the crew. Yeah. So it was a scene where Lori is alone in her truck, waiting for Michael to be transferred from the prison to a bus, and then hopefully to a, another prison, and. As she has been waiting outside that prison for 40 years, Lori Strode went to that prison every single day of her life. I bet you she did perimeter checks. I think Lori Strode was the woman who called the police department and said, hey, you always said you guys were going to have a police car always near that prison. I've been by the prison today. There was no police car. I think Lori Strode was that person. And so here she is sitting alone in her truck. And even though the scene is five seconds or 10 seconds or 15 seconds in the movie, we shot it for over an hour. And we shot it from zero to 100 in the sense of the level of emotion and rage and fear and reliving the trauma. Um, And it's Lori alone in her truck. And... When I arrived that day, obviously I was prepared to do my work, and it's sort of not really written even. It's just sort of a haiku. It's just sort of like Lori alone in her truck reliving 40 years of trauma Mm -hmm. is sort of the way it was sort of scripted. And when I came onto the set, the crew who the first day of the movie had been required to wear name tags with their names on it mm-hmm. because I don't know anybody and I like people to wear name tags for a couple of days so I can get to know people. It's, good. it's a good tactic. Thank you. Um, on the last day of filming, which was this day in the truck, uh, at night in the middle of nowhere in a parking lot was this little pickup truck and a hundred people. The entire crew put on name tags that said, we are Lori Strode. And they stood there in total silent solidarity with me. There was no talking. Nobody was saying anything. But the entire crew stood and faced me. And as I walked through them to go to my truck to begin my work as an actor, my entire crew said, we, were, we are with you. We are with Lori. We believe Lori. We love Lori, and they were saying, we are with you, Jamie. We love you. We loved working together as a unit, and we are with you. We are with the trauma. You are not alone. You are safe to go wherever you need to go. Mm. And even though, of course, as I said, it's 15 seconds in the movie, Mm. where we went literally was replaying basically the last 20 minutes of Halloween 1978, alone in a truck. And it was 
needless to say, moving for mm-hmm. me as a human. It was moving for me as an actor. And it was very heartwarming and moving for me as a human, uh, collaborative human on a movie that my crew would be so generous and so loving and supportive. And I will never forget that moment as long as I live. It it will be one of the most important moments of my life. Laurie is proactive in this movie and she's on the front foot. And I know that the, the, the past experiences aren't necessarily relevant, but in the past when you played Laurie, you've been on the back foot. There's been a lot of fear involved. There's been a lot of freneticism and screaming. And this one, Laurie is damaged, as we've, we've talked about. But also she's someone who wants to take control back and take control of her life back. And I thought those sequences were, were really, really interesting. Yeah, There's a great are. cat and mouse sequence, which I thought was terrific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, this is something she's been preparing for. Um, I, I think she would never be someone who'd be running in any sort of panicked way, she's been preparing for this for 40 years. She knows exactly what she's going to do, when she's going to do it. She's rehearsed this. She's practiced it. She's trained herself. She's trained her family. And so, unfortunately, that's what violence gives you is some sense of preparation if you know it's coming back for you Mm. whereas the first time it's happening the last thing in the world you'd ever think would happen is that as you're babysitting some kids on a small town street in any town usa that michael myers would show up with a butcher knife at your house Mm. that's what made that first movie so terrifying Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the way, there are babysitters in our new movie, too. <laughs> a very good point. And uh, I'd like to go now, Jamie, but uh, I want to ask one last question. Now that you've revisited Laurie again, are there any characters from your past that maybe you'd like to revisit? Does that pop through your head now no. and again? Do you think, where would Wanda be now? Oh, where, where are Wanda and Archie please, now? I don't think about... <laughs> That's what people I like have me to think about. children and a pet and a husband. <laughs> I get sent pictures of my little dog and I start to cry because he's missing me. Are you kidding? (laughs) All of this are movies. Movies are movies are movies. They're a great job. I've been Uh unbelievably lucky to be in some great ones. I've been in some pieces of poop. And you all know what they are. And I'm sure you've seen them all. And I, it's fine. It's what we do. But, um... No, I okay. live a real life. Uh-huh. I have a beautiful, beautiful life. Uh-huh. And um, wondering about movie characters isn't on the radar. <laughs> so I can't interest you in another fish called Wanda? No, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much. There we go. I don't have it. I, I wasn't offering, but I'm just it's saying. It's all right. Just, you know, just brilliant. It's all good. It's all good. Jamie Lee Curtis, Thank it's been you. an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask a question? Yeah. We will be reviewing Halloween later on mm-hmm. in this episode. I will not be participating because I haven't seen it. I am, in fact, <laughs> you will be surprised to hear. I will be watching this, in fact, this evening. I'm going to see it tonight. Now, hypothetically, <laughs> presume for a moment that the only Halloween film I've seen is H2O. 
What? Oh. Assume, what? assume. I mean, obviously that's not the case because I'm I'm a professional film journalist. But let's assume that I was not a very good film journalist, and literally the only Halloween film I've seen is H2O. What hypothetically would I need to know going into tonight's performance? Um, very, well, very little, really. Uh, but first of all. You're a monster. Oh well, yeah, that. <laughs> but he, I'm assuming he already knows that. I mean, hypothetically, I'm a monster. But uh, it's like, like, do bad guys in movies know they're the bad guys? Do you know? Did Hitler know he was evil? <laughs> Does James know he's evil? Does James know he is just an absolute personification of Satan? I mean, a student summoned me from hell to do a talk, so I mean, I have an idea. All right. Yeah, okay. but I've, I've always seen you as more Crowley level of evil, Aww. and this is like Ashmodian. Like this is not good. You Thanks, know, Helen. So. No, I've, I uh, I went to uh, <laughs> I went to Wikipedia and I looked up the Halloween page, and I read the plot synopsis. Uh, and 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 so so he like he he starts off as a child and then he goes away and then he comes back and so the reason he has a jumpsuit is because he steals it from a mechanic that was on Wikipedia and then where does he get the mask from and and he just picks it up somewhere just, it's Halloween like, for okay so just from a shop like it's just a mask that he p- picks up in a shop no yeah no, yeah, not it, from yeah a shop. there's no origin story of the mask okay necessarily. okay well, this is good to know this is good to know um. Fine. Okay, good. And so, and this takes place, and I read, and so Halloween 2 follows on from Halloween 1, so that's a little self-contained thing. Uh, yes. yeah. But Halloween yeah. 2 no longer counts as... as no, but I thought 2 does count. No, no, just Halloween. This one just follows Halloween. Oh, but by that rationale, mm-hmm. Laurie Strode is not then his, his sister. sister. In, Correct. In, indeed. And there is, in fact, a line in this film about that. Oh, mind blown. So, okay, so, so, so this follows on directly from the first one. It doesn't include the second one, even though the second one picks up chronologically the second that my first one finishes, and I always saw them as a kind of a couplet. Yeah. I mean, say though, always, I've never seen them. Yeah, and even though the second one had John Carpenter directly involved, yeah. this is redconned at that of So this picks up after he gets shot All right, and okay. disappears. Yes, so so he, he comes out of a window, gets so shot. Michael Myers goes to Hattonfield, and he yes. stalks uh, several people, including Laurie Strode, uh, Who kills. we don't know why he's stalking her. It's just, just we don't. He's just stalking yeah, her. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now this movie has turned into he's just stalking her because he just happened. He's browsing and he just likes what he sees. And they're now so not related. They're no. now not related. Uh, meanwhile, Michael Myers' psychiatrist, uh, Doctor Loomis, uh, played by Donald Pleasance, the great Donald Pleasance, is on his way to Hattonfield as well because he suspects strongly that Michael Myers is evil incarnate. That he actually is the boogeyman. He actually is the devil himself, and he wants to go and stop him because he knows he's going to kill a whole bunch of people. doesn't really kill a whole bunch of people when he kills about five people in the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, uh, he attacks Laurie. She fends him off with like a coat hanger and some needles. <laughs> and uh, then uh, Loomis shoots him six times. He falls off the roof of the house onto the ground below. Uh, Loomis goes back into Laurie. She goes, was that the boogeyman? And... Loomis goes, as a matter of fact, it was. Then he goes back outside and the body has gone. And then the film ends with Michael Myers. Lots of point of view shots from Michael Myers inside the mask. You can hear his breathing, the heavy implication that he's somehow survived. There's something supernatural going on. He's, he's still knocking around. Where's he uh, going? Like, what's he, what's he well, doing? he's going wherever he wants to go. Like, he's still alive. He's still there. He can still stab you, stabby, stabby, stabby. So. And, he's, and in, in, according to this film, then he actually did get picked up again and brought back to the asylum. Yes, at that like point. immediately. So they, they, yeah, <laughs> like, they caught him and they locked him they up. They caught him and locked him yeah. up again. Simpson and, style, he fell off the roof, bounced on the ground and into a police car. Let's see what's happened. And he was and he was in the asylum for killing his sister. Uh, as a he, boy? Originally, as a yes. boy, his sister and sister. her boyfriend. Sister and her boyfriend, I think. 
No, just sister. And making Laurie Strode's oh, sister maybe you're right, is just actually. like a silly plot device they threw into the second one for lols. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is good. Yeah. This has been this has been very helpful. I don't know how I've never seen this film. I really don't. But still, but well, you're I'm, still being judged for it, James. Thanks. I've That's never fine. seen H twenty. So you know, there you go. Well, you missed oh, out. It's great. Missed out. Adam Arkin is divine. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. So okay. So are you up to speed now? Do you? Thanks. Thanks for Hallow- Halloween explaining to me. Yeah. It's good. Good. Okay. All right. I feel well, I feel go. equipped now to see. It. I almost feel we should just go straight to reviews and yeah, review Halloween now. Way, but yeah. uh, do you want to do that? We can, we can mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Should we do that? Yeah. Should we do that? All right. We're going to have the reviews after three hundred and whatever episodes. <laughs> we've messing up the formula. Well, it's do your it. fault. It seems weird to now like turn away from everything we've just explained. He really is an agent of chaos, yeah. isn't he? he is. Sewing Discord. <laughs> All right. Okay. This is the review section apparently so let's discuss David Gordon Green's <laughs> Halloween which really as you heard with the Jamie Lee Curtis interview confusingly has the same name as John Carpenter's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween I always forget that Rob yeah. Zombie made two dreadful Halloween films I try my best to ignore I mean I haven't seen Rob those either does. but I hear they're, they're among the worst things that have ever happened I, I, I hate everything Rob Zombie has made as a, as a film director so anyway, uh, this is uh, the follow-on from the original <laughs> Halloween. Yes, Helen, years do later. tell us about this movie. <laughs> um, Laurie Strode has basically spent the entire intervening period defend, preparing to defend herself against Michael Myers' return. She's, she's convinced it's going to happen, so she's just going to get ready for it. Um, and sure enough, finally, two generations later, she's got a daughter and a granddaughter, mm-hmm. um, he escapes from the asylum. And on Halloween night, on Halloween night, sense of timing is legendary. Oh, he's he knows what he's doing. Also, like, what was the what was the, the thinking behind that decision to let's move them <laughs> on Halloween? I mean, it's odd. Yeah. Anyway, um, and uh, and he comes back to Haddonfield looking for trouble. That's, I mean, that's basically all you need to know. So you've got the, the granddaughter provides the necessary teen and her friends who are going to be imperiled uh, by this. I mean, there's a dance in the school hall. You know, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? And uh, and there is a lot more killing, I think it's fair to say. There, there are some quite gory deaths in yep. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is also, as you might expect from a script co-written by Danny McBride, a little bit of comedy. I think this has been quite divisive. I find it quite effective i find it a little bit of like all these little human moments diffusing the tension yeah because there's but it's also very tense and a lot of the time when people are being charming and funny you're like yeah but you're about to be probably killed (laughs) so maybe less with the yuck yuck and more with the ah run but they Um, don't know that they're about to be killed they don't know that but i know that it's like worried for them look at us now right here in the podcast we're being charming we're being funny well some of us are sorry dan uh but any second now, we could be killed by Me. some sort of weird Dan, <laughs> some sort of maniac, James. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But are you saying then that people shouldn't be charming and funny just in case they get killed seconds later? No, I find it really effective. Okay. I like the charming and funny bits. What would uh, Jamie Kennedy have said about that? <laughs> oh, he, but he was really charming and funny oh, just before he got killed. Randy. <laughs> oh, Randy. Oh, Randy. That was a anyway, good death. It's how, it how he would have wanted to go. It was a I good day to die. Was. <laughs> I don't think it's how he would have wanted Stand to go. Stand to death in the back of a panel van. Yeah. 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 Scream too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Mm. Anyway, so uh, I find this quite effective. Now, obviously bear in mind I'm a total wimp uh-huh. and, and I am easily scared. Yes, but, but you I can was, run like a motherfucker. I mean, I can run extremely slowly. I might be able to outrun Michael Myers who walks at a steady but relentless pace. But like, like he but has like, like presumably some kind of scarification for every victim and you're like, yes, but I have a tattoo for every marathon I've run. I see ya. 
yeah. I, I don't know if I fancy my chances. Anyway, but um, scary. So I was scared and I find it quite quite effective. Yeah. Also, uh, shout out to the score. They obviously had mm-hmm. John Carpenter himself with his son. Is that his son? Yeah, his son and I believe his son-in-law. And son-in-law. As so, well. so yeah. He's, yeah, all collaborate on the score so it's it, yeah. it's proper it feels like a Halloween movie yeah really good score uh, some decent new themes as well but you get those, that classic those classic Halloween themes you get Laurie's theme you get Michael Myers theme the shapes theme you get uh, like great first thing yeah. I ever learned to play on the piano and last uh, actually as it turned out but there you go uh, the Halloween score uh, so you liked it I did. I yeah. liked it as well, but I have reservations. Mm-hmm. And the sort of reservations that we could only really get into in a spoiler special. Yeah. And we're not going to do a spoiler special for this film because Dave Gordon Green isn't available. So just one of those things. But uh, I feel that, uh, in fact, you know what? Uh, you're not the only one who can plug other podcasts. Uh, if you listen to <laughs> Mike uh, Michael Munzer's Evolution of Horror podcast, uh, we I, I'm on that this week talking about Halloween, specifically this film, and we do get very spoilerific about it. So if you want to hear my thoughts about that and frankly why would you but if you do go and check out that podcast mm. as well Tell maybe, maybe on the you. review of the year we can talk about it because I've got some maybe. thoughts as well yeah. But yeah I mean there's there's a there's a noble drive behind this film mm-hmm. and a noble drive behind the character of Laurie Strode uh, which is and it wasn't intended this way as again as, you, as you've heard in the interview with Jamie Lee Curtis but there's a there's a there's a timeliness to mm-hmm. her character. She is someone who has lived her life in the shadow of her, if you, for want of a better word, attacker, abuser. Yeah. And finally, she gets to come face to face with him, and she takes the power back, mm-hmm. so to speak. And there's a real timeliness about that. I think, as I said on the Mike Munzer podcast, I think I interviewed Jamie Lee Curtis the same week that the. Brett Kavanaugh hearings were were going on uh, over there. So there's there's something in the air, there's something in the ether of the whole Me Too and Time's Up movement that makes this film a little bit more resonant and relevant than it would have been otherwise. But at the end of the day, also, I think you have to judge a Halloween movie on how it works as a horror film. And that's where I think this one falls down slightly. There are some terrific, terrific sequences, but I have slight issues with people just towards the end behaving like they're in a horror movie. You know what I mean? I think I think mm, okay. common sense flies out the window and people start behaving like you would in a horror movie and not like you would in real life. And I thought that they were going down a different path. Um, also, shout out uh, to the... Uh, to the most detestable movie characters of the year, which are the two British podcasters who <laughs> <laughs> set the whole thing uh, in motion. I mean, British podcasters are dreadful people, are. though, aren't they? Just the worst. Mm, twice. Yeah. Yeah, it says Irish passport holding Helena Hara, <laughs> knowing she has an out with that one. Yeah, so but yeah, I liked it. I thought we gave it three stars, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm on board with that. I had a decent time with it. Uh, I didn't think anything was particularly hugely egregious. Maybe some issues with the glorification of Michael Myers a little bit, and that you know over the years he's obviously become the the, the star of the franchise. Yeah. And there are a few moments in this movie where it almost feels to me like you're meant to punch the air in triumph at stuff he's but doing when he's with, like butchering people. Same with some of the Jason films, the Freddy films. You do root for Freddy, don't you? In the but you did, you weirdo. You did. Oh, is it just me? A little bit. <laughs> like whenever Nightmare on Elm Street comes out, you're not rooting for Freddy. Whenever the, the, the very best of those movies are about the heroes or about the survivors, and if the characters are interesting enough, then in Friday the th- uh, in Nightmare on Elm Street in particular, one and three. 
So the first one in Dream Warriors. Yeah, Dream I'm, Warriors rooting, I'm rooting for Nancy and I'm rooting yeah. for the, 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 yeah. the team that she's assembled yeah. in Dream Warriors. I'm not rooting for Freddy and I don't think I ever did. We well, later on I think you start to because they just the the victims just become disposable in every sense and he becomes, you know, the agent of chaos but also the purveyor of all the, he's got all the gags, you know, he's got all the good lines, he has all the good scenes. It, does this go back to my general point about cinema where yeah. every bad guy mm-hmm. lives long enough to see himself become a goodie? I mean even the freaking velociraptors, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, okay. Hannibal Lecter, Darth, Darth Vader, they all get this sympathetic treatment in the end and it's like, dude, yeah. let's let bad be bad. And I think that in fairness mm. to this film, you know. He's bad. He's bad. He's absolutely evil, but what, you, you know what I mean? There are moments yeah. in this no, movie where you're meant to go, oh, he's back, Michael Myers is back and he's just stabbed someone and now look how awesome it was and hang on a second. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel that way. I get what you're saying about yeah. there are moments where they're really kind of like, ha ha, this is happening. Yeah. But I, I felt that was more overt homage to the original. Well, the thing I like about Michael Myers is, is he's not cool, really. I mean, you know, if you compare him with Jason, he gets the hockey mask, or Freddy, who mm. gets the, you know, the, the knife hand and everything like that. Whereas Michael Myers sort of like lumbers around with a William Shatner mask. <laughs> a boiler suit. And a boiler suit, yeah. Inside out, William Shatner mask and Donald Trump hair and just runs around, yeah. the, uh, walks around the place. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I kind of, it, it's, it's, it, I mm. think that really works. He's, he's kind of, you know, anti-charismatic kind of slasher mm. stalker. Yeah, yeah, he's that 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 sort of bland, terrifying face of evil, isn't he? That you know, implacable and yeah, unstoppable. Yeah. And he's he's the... he's he's one step up from a zombie. Like he he's, he's more actively evil than a zombie, but is that same kind of implacable, mm. unescapable, relentless threat? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Fun so chat. I was scared. Fun chat. Yeah, mm. H- Helen was scared. I was I was pretty scared. I was pretty scared. And you know, I don't think that David Gordon Green thinks he's above the genre, unlike someone else who has. Made a remade a horror classic uh, along, in a, uh, which is coming along in a few weeks' time. No spoilers on the identity of that person or indeed that film. I'm going to keep you in suspiriense uh, <laughs> about that one. <laughs> right, uh, three stars in for Halloween. What's next? I, I look forward to it. <laughs> another, I have a lot another, to say about that film. Yeah, another, another, another Michael, another yeah. scary film. <gasps> More scary, in fact. Yes, even so, more scary. Who is it? Yeah, Another by... film with a slightly confusing title, perhaps? Oh, yes. I know what this is. Fahrenheit 11.9. Fahrenheit 11.9. The 11.9, of course, being the reference to the date that the 45th President of the United States of America was voted in. The day Michael Moore realised that date, uh, having already made a film called Fahrenheit 9.11... He must have done exactly what Zack Snyder and the team did. The day that they realized that Batman and Superman both have mothers called Martha, they just like, okay, take the rest of the day, guys. We're good. We got Happy. this. We get That's the title of the movie. Boom. That's fantastic. I'm going down the bowling alley. Uh, you guys want to join me? Drinks are on me. Anyway, so what happens in the film? Oh, yeah. Oh, film. yes. Well, I mean, its starting point is the obvious thing. I mean, really, it's it starts off with that night, and then it's Michael Moore going, what the fuck just happened? Mm. But actually, it's... It's quite a loose and scattershot film. There's a lot going on in it. Yeah, I mean, and he's always been prone to that, right? But this one is more that... This is kind of like... Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm plagiarising my own review here by saying this. It's kind of like the Infinity War of, of Michael Moore documentaries. <laughs> okay? It's mm-hmm. like everything's in there. There's bits of bowling for Columbine, um, and there's bits of especially uh, Roger and Me, even though you would think Fahrenheit uh, 9-11, yeah. there are bits of that. But it's actually kind of, there's a whole chunk of it which isn't anything to do with Trump at all, not directly. 
It's almost a sequel to Roger and Me. And I don't, just to explain Roger and Me, that was uh, Michael Moore's first ever documentary, which is about his hometown, Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. and the way it's just been, well, I mean, to sum it up, shat on yeah. by, the, by the American government and by the think, people that run it. I think it. I'm right in saying that it still doesn't have clean water. Uh, well, right? this is the point. This is what he gets into in Fahrenheit 11.9. He picks up with the governor, Rick Snyder, and his connection is Rick Snyder should have been a warning for what would happen with Trump because Mm -hmm. they're very similar people, uh, similar backgrounds, similar personalities, what have you. Um, So, And actually, this stuff is really interesting. I didn't know a lot about the whole water contamination uh, scandal. It's horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And I can't believe it ever happened. I can't believe it's still going on. And he's quite right to highlight it, but it feels like it should be a whole other documentary. Yes, that should be a complete film in itself. Yeah. It's a it's a horrendous, horrendous situation. Yeah. So so it's kind of a shame, really, that that's kind of folded in with the rest of it. I mean, this is this is Michael Moore. You you know what you're going to get. There's this guy. I mean, for example, very early on, he kind of does the gag that it's all Gwen Stefani's fault, <laughs> which. I could go into explaining, but actually I don't want to spoil it. He has this whole thing of why it's Gwen Stefani's fault that we've got Trump, okay? okay. So that's, that's, that's very him. He's very good with the juxtapositions. And normally, and I'm going to say what he does, but I'm going to preface it by saying normally if you saw this happening, you, you kind of roll your eyes. But I actually think this is totally appropriate for Trump. He takes um, footage of Hitler's rallies, Hitler's oratory, and runs Trump's audio over it. It sounds like a blunt instrument. But actually, I, I think he's making a valid point uh, and it needs to be made and someone needs to be saying it. But the, 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 the problem with Fahrenheit 11.9 is that it's really depressing <laughs> because he kind of, he's kind of saying, we're screwed. Everyone's screwed. You will not find your answer in the Constitution. You will not find your answer in the special prosecutor. You will not find your answer in elections. The only thing that can now reverse what's happened is absolutely seriously committed revolutionary grassroots action. Or Thanos. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but, I mean, you know, this is worse than Thanos because it's real! Yeah. Define, define what, what he says there, revolutionary grassroots well, action. Well, I mean, I mean calling revolutionary for, for... is kind of... I, I, I'm kind of using a loaded word there deliberately. What I mean is it's just people... Not having necessarily the violent revolution. Yeah, yeah, having the confidence and strength to actually take direct action. Pamphlets. So no, not pamphlets. So a lot for of pamphlets, example, though. better where we're all, twenty twenty. Uh, anyway, he spends a lot of time with uh, kids fighting against uh, you know the gun control. Uh, so sorry, fighting for gun control. Yeah. Uh, who uh, you know have been the, out, the who've been marching. Kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He spends a lot of time with them. And they're kind of like, they're outside of the political party system. You know, they're, they're just standing they give up. give me hope. Yeah, they're standing up for what they believe in. And that is the ray of hope in here. And this is what Moore is saying. But he's saying it as part of a, of a, of a sort of a bigger picture thing of, of just like American democracy is not working. That's, that's pretty much the thesis here. So anyway, um, is that a recommendation? I guess so. I'm glad I saw it, but it did make me almost cry. <laughs> I did walk. Out, I did walk out of the cinema after seeing it, just like g- genuinely with tears in my eyes, shaking my head, thinking, "I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do." Come on, the Empire Podcast, Dan. We'll help you. We'll help you get through it. It's all good. Anyway, so it sounds uh, really interesting if you like that kind of thing. And who doesn't like being utterly depressed about the state of the world? Uh, so Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9, and uh, we gave it four stars. Is that four out of 11 or four out of nine? Out of five? 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 Yeah, five, okay. Which is, four out of five. Which is nine minus 
Oh, no, wait. Well, it doesn't <laughs> work. Okay, there we go. Four stars in for Fahrenheit 11.9. Our third film this week is Science Fair, which seems like a much... You know, just a happier proposition, is it, Helen? It is. It gives you hope for the future again. Thank God, after all of that, um, you know, murder and misery. Talking to Dan and James, that, well, yeah, <laughs> that'll beat the optimism out of anybody. That'll do it. But, yes. um, but no, this is essentially a documentary uh, about uh, kids at a science fair. Uh, so these are the ones who've won their state competitions or their country competitions. This is the world finals in LA for a week. And these kids are so freaking bright. They will make you feel terrible about yourself, but hopeful for the state of the planet, I thought. Mm. Um, it's very much in the vein of Spellbound, by which I don't mean the Alfred Hitchcock film, although that's great too. I mean <laughs> the documentary about the script Spelling Bee, which is one of my all-time favourite documentaries. I think it's wonderful. Um, but this one is is similarly sort of encouraging in showing you that there are great young minds out there that they're doing incredible things that you'll understand maybe one word in ten of some of those projects <laughs> um, and, uh, and and that's depressing because they're still in high school like they haven't yeah. even gone to college yet and um, and they're, they're coming up with like treatments for the Zika virus and stuff like this they're coming up with just Ditto. impossible stuff and uh, and yet they're also still teenagers and they have teenage attitudes and teenage problems and 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 they're totally charming. And I, it's honestly, it is a very feel-good film. I was either laughing or in tears or both throughout most of it, just because it's so warm-hearted. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, gives you hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 it's the structure of it is is very obvious. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like like you say, like Spellbound. You meet the kids, you get the background, then it's kind of they go through to the the qualifying event where they mm-hmm. have to get to be part of the international fair and exactly. and then it follows them through that but they're from all over the world this isn't like is this National Geographic this documentary yes. isn't it so it's not a purely American thing they're from all around the world so there's a Brazilian girl and boy and there's a German kid and um, although I never quite actually followed exactly what his thing was the film didn't make it that wing. clear is that just it? yeah he just right. made a better flight so that you know the flying wing from Indiana Jones from Rage of the Lost Ark that he's made one that actually sort of works in an economical fashion. Right. I mean, obviously he didn't build a full-scale one and then have a fight on it with a gigantic stuntman. That would have been cool. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Someone should do that in a film. Someone should absolutely do that in a film. <laughs> but he made, but he's made basically working models and sort of done the maths to prove that he could do the whole thing, right. I think. Okay, yeah. Okay, sorry, I must have, must have missed that bit. But yeah, and, and, and there's a great, uh, one great person, and it's a character, person in it, the teacher, there's a high school teacher who be sort of oh, like, yeah. she doesn't come in until about halfway through, but then she kind of dominates. <laughs> and that's, that's what I think she does. She's incredible. She's got like, like I don't know how many different kids into the finals, yeah. this finals of this like fair. nine of them, I think yeah, it was, she, something like that. absolutely unbelievable. And she's, oh. like, she's like a kind of a super brainy drill instructor. Yeah. Um, which which is really interesting, um, but uh, but no no it is it is it's a lovely film. But I, I also really like the um, the kids who are from a school that just doesn't care. The, the sports school. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. So there's there's a uh, hijabi girl um, who uh, is from this school in like Kentucky. I can't remember where. It was, but it, yeah. was, it was one of those states. It was like Kentucky, it's in Alabama. America. It was, it was yeah. one of the one of the middle states in America, and literally no one in her school understands what the heck she's doing. So she got the school's um, uh, football basketball coach yeah. to sign up as her like adult sponsor to be able to enter this competition and he very gamely listens to her when she explains what she's doing and then admits on camera like I, I don't know I don't understand any of this <laughs> um, so she's complete she's just she's just doing it herself I mean she has very supportive parents but yeah. she's just going out there yeah but I, I think that was the most 
important part of the film in a way because it kind of summed up the problem today in the world, which is that school has got trophy after trophy, trophy cabinets for all its sports achievements, right? And it didn't recognise what she achieved. I'm not going to spoil anything, but she... She yeah. definitely achieved something. Well, uh, when, we, and, when we meet her, she'd already got yeah. a, a place at the year And before. there's no celebration of that, no recognition. Right? Nobody nobody in the school, the, the head of the principal, sorry, I should say, of the school, didn't say well done, yeah. anything like that. So she went completely unnoticed and she's the most brilliant person there. And meanwhile, they're more excited about the fact that they won some football game. In fact, they didn't even. The, the team sucks, they admit it. I know, but then at the end, they, oh, yeah, they, they, they did better. I mean, oh, uh, spoiler, yeah. Dan. That is a spoiler. giving away spoilers Sorry. willy-nilly here. So, but I think that is kind of the core of it. And I'd be very interested to see, I mean, because we don't really have a science fair culture in this country. It doesn't exist. But is there is there a UK equivalent of, of specific equivalent? It's the uh, witchcraft thing that Helen went to. Witchcraft? Uh, yes. Hey. There we go. We got there in the we end. Got there. There we go. There we go. <laughs> anyway, okay. So then, four stars for Science Fair. The Empire Review. I think we'll be on by the time you're listening to this. It'll be on the website. But yeah, we gave it four stars. One of you two gave it four stars. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Everyone gets a high five for that donut. Um, so that's uh, it for our main reviews this week. I will mention I'm the only person in the room who's seen Hunter Killer, the Ooh, Gerard Butler submarine so lucky. movie. I, genuinely, I went into this. Not expecting a great deal, and my low expectations were quickly surpassed. This is a very solid, decent, Tom Clancy-esque thriller uh, that I really enjoyed. So it's basically the Russian president, who's in this movie is not Putin, but is a (laughs) moderate, uh, is kidnapped by an evil Russian general who wants to make it look like the Americans did it. So an American submarine and a Russian submarine get kablooied at the beginning of the movie. And so he wants to trigger World War III so he can have like a position of power. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, and so the Americans, led by Common and Gary Oldman and Linda Cardellini... Here for it. (laughs) Send in Jerry Butler as Captain Joe Glass... Um, who is, you know, a rugged submarine commander. And so he uh, he gets his hunter-killer submarine and he goes to this place in Russia to try and rescue the Russian president before World War Three happens. And he does so with the assistance of, I'm not making this up, Toby Stevens as a rugged, bearded, <laughs> special forces badass. Here for and it. Toby Stevens is so good in this movie that I was watching it all because I didn't know he was in it. And I was watching the movie going, that guy looks a lot like Toby Stevens. But he, there's no way he's Toby Stevens because he's really convincing as like this just ultimate badass dude. Like he's the one who does like all the killing and the shooting and the punching and the fighting in this. And there's Jerry Butler who's on the submarine doing the barking and the yelling and the, the stoicism and the commanding and the diving in and, and the diving and the diving and all that stuff and he doesn't get to do the action stuff and I thought it was quite interesting and um, I'm a sucker for submarine movies and I thought the, uh, the above top stuff was decent as well perhaps less so the, the, the stuff where a special guest star Gary Oldman turns up for three <laughs> minutes to shout at people but you know hey Toby Stevens has been doing a fair amount of action recently I've been watching Black Sails a bit and he's I've never seen that, that. Um, maybe that's how he 13 hours as well yeah and, he's, he? and Lost mm. in Space obviously is he? Yeah. I have completely missed Toby yeah. Stevens' career. I don't know what's happened. You've misjudged him. I really have. I He was in Dying of the Day and I kind of went, oh, yeah. posh guy, Maggie Smith's son, all that sort of stuff. And But yeah, badass. Badass. Yeah. Give Toby Stevens a franchise, you pricks. Three stars for Hunter Killer, which leads <laughs> us nicely into 
Uh, this week's final guest it is Jared Butler he's back in the podcast and is always a delight talking to Jerry Butler and we had an awful lot of fun with this one uh, in this very booth in fact Dan sitting in this very same seat that Jerry Butler sat in I'm instantly feeling 72% more manly there you go so wow. up, up to 26% mm. then Dan <laughs> yeah Woo-hoo! that's good for me sports <laughs> here you go me and Jerry Butler do enjoy Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast. And I mean that. Truly delighted. Jared Butler, how are you, uh, sir? Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, star of Hunter Killer, a submarine drama, a sucker for submarine dramas. Uh, were you growing up? Is this something that you've always wanted to do? Yeah, very much. Um, a lot of my favorite movies, literally my favorite movies, Daz Boat, um, Hunt for Red October, Crimson Tide. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and you kind of... But they seemed to to disappear for a while, and I and and I came across this script back in two thousand and twelve, but it just didn't seem relevant at the time. You know, the the the, the bad guy, you know, the U.S. Russia um, kind of conflict wasn't really working. So, but I thought I would love to make this if the time is right, and then the time yeah. became right. But it, it yeah. felt like it it could really recreate and and rebirth that that genre and take us back into all the stuff that we loved about the, the about the traditional genre of the the, the claustrophobia the complexity yeah, yeah, yeah. the strategies yeah. the tactics that um and, and being trapped in this bomb and 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 having to try and outthink and outplay in this game of chess against the opponents and 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 but what it felt with this is we could also extend it past that and we could be fighting a battle under the the you know deep under the ocean but also on the surface and mm-hmm. in the sky and mm-hmm. on land and yeah, yeah. um but essentially it is still first and foremost a submarine movie yeah. yeah absolutely and you play the commander of the submarine uh which is interesting because obviously you're a producer of this film yes uh and there are i imagine you had your pick of roles and you went i want to play this role because this is a i would say not a typical jerry butler character you don't punch anyone <laughs> there's no, no punching yeah. unless that was cut from the movie <laughs> there's no shooting there's not it's a much more contained performance whereas yeah. say for example Toby Stevens role I th- would imagine maybe in a, a few years ago you've been going that's my role that's the one yeah probably yeah. probably I thought it was it was um I, I listen. I just I, I really gravitated towards the glass role. I've yeah. I've I've done the Beeman role, and and yeah. to be honest, watching Toby in the movie, and I and I consider myself pretty good in action movies, but I couldn't have done it any better than he did. I thought he he really killed it in that role. But I genuinely had to check it was Toby Stevens. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. I had to check it was Toby Stevens because I was watching the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was just like, is this really Toby uh, Stevens? Yeah. It comes up at the end and Toby Stevens. Like, okay, what the hell's well, going I on? I know, and it wouldn't have been the. I, I wouldn't have. Um, naturally thought of of him for that role too and then he he, he sent um a tape of of him reading it and we all just he's the most phenomenal actors and we all just looked at each other going Mm. how could how could you say no to that (laughs) and 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 uh, no he 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 killed it and he gave so much of his of his heart and soul to it and uh, Mm. um but no glass i always felt it's time for me to be the one giving the orders and more kind of pulled back kind of uh how would you say um calmer circumstances you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Me thinking coming from instinct and and sending somebody else out to break their body on the battlefield it was fun because I went over to Bulgaria where I didn't shoot in Bulgaria but I went over to watch them filming and it was really on the one hand I'm like oh let me in there let me I know I, I can I want to do this and then the other hand like whew, God. 
<laughs> but it was really fun. It was like a play to, to house everything in the submarine, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. all in that control room and just let it simmer and, mm. and feel that pressure cooker build and build and um, and those incredibly challenging decisions that, that a man has to make and put his own crew at risk and put the world at risk, but but, mm. but trying to think about them from a, from a different angle and, and just constantly bumping up against the most unforeseen circumstances and mm. lefties. It's like delicious, you know, these delicious challenges that they face along the way. And um, so it, it, it just felt like a, an, uh, like a great role to take on. I mean, like I say, I'm a sucker for submarine movies and uh, anything where people, where torpedoes are being launched in a submarine and the captain is waiting for the right moment to bark the right instructions. Uh-huh. That's just, I just eat that shit oh, up. Oh, yeah. So you must have been on you, set. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and once we filled it in, you know, we always had the script with the right tactical descriptions of the yeah. torpedo battles or trying to avoid a, um, a destroyer, a Russian destroyer, you know, and, and, and the different, evasion strategies etc but when it's filled in with what the rest of the crew do living and breathing you are completely immersed in that mm-hmm. world and um you know so we would have uh battle stations that are fire and and by the time you finish and everybody's moved and the pilot's working and they're on the phone and they're calling down to the engine room and they're manning the torpedoes by the time you finish one you're sweating and you got goosebumps <laughs> and the adrenaline is flowing it's like you feel like are we actually underwater? Are we doing this? <laughs> um, and you go, if that transfers on screen, which it, I, I, I really I feel it has, then you know you're onto a winner. What did you What did you shoot? You weren't. You said you weren't in Bulgaria. So where was the submarine? Oh, we set? actually shot here in a studio in London. We rebuilt okay. that set. Now we we also shot some out in um, Pearl Harbor. So the the Navy were kind enough to to let us use one of their Virginia class submarines. So there's parts of the movie, Jesus. and we could use their crew as well. So you get the the frenetic um, dance that they do through certain emergency procedures that we have in the movie, and they let us use this thing they have called a wet trainer because we trained in this wet trainer where right. that it fills up with freezing water and you got to try and 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 stem these leaks because that's what the risk is these leaks coming in at high pressure underwater yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it it's it was insanely scary because it's filling up and it's up to your chest and the pressure you can't even get in you're trying to get in with a spanner and the spanner is the first of 100 things you got to do to, oh, to stem this leak and the leaks are coming from everywhere and we took a look at that and went this is in the movie. And, and that was fun <laughs> to be finding things in the sub that we knew there's a great moment that we can put in there for a bit of yeah. color, a bit of character yeah. and, um, and and parts of what they had there that we could also p- put in the movie. And and, mm. and it's great when you see it all come together and you go, oh, oh my, my God, God, I'm so in that. Yeah. That is our engine room flooding, you know. That's, That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Because, because with the submarine movie, I mean, you know, you do feel that there are certain things you want to see. Uh, so you want to see a compartment flooding with water and people yep. struggling to, to. To, to do that. You want to see the captain waiting for the last possible second before going, right, dive, 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 as producer as well. So are you thinking, right, do we need to tick these boxes and how far do we want to push it? And, you know, do we want to deliver pe- things that people are expecting, but we also want to deliver things that people aren't expecting? So how do you, yeah. how do you get that balance right? Well, you, you know, I think you just go by how the... the, the we couldn't get too caught up in... Have we seen this before or have we not seen yeah, this yeah. before? Because the natural progression of the story is, even though we have a lot of fun with it, mm. but it's so plausible the way we take it. And it's either a small step in this direction or a, or a quantum leap in this direction. Yeah, yeah. And but But the important thing is you're in it 
moment by moment. And I think if you are, you're. This is a submarine movie where these guys are up against all odds. They're the only sub in uh, being chased by a whole Russian fleet, and be you know at one point there's going to be flooding. You know they're going to be attacked. There's torpedoes going off yeah. everywhere. There's going to be flooding. There's going to be fires. And I think if you didn't have that, you might say, well. We didn't follow suit with other movies, but you'd be sadly lacking because those are the moments in the movie when you're literally punching your friend next to you going, this is, this is yeah. awesome. That know? shit works. It yeah. works. Uh, there's a really interesting thread in this movie as well. You've spent the last few years rescuing the American president and saving, <laughs> and this one you're, you're, you're saving the Russian president. So. I know and this would be commented on. <laughs> I was like, oh, you have to get the fucking Russian president in here, you know. Um, you know, you say, people, you say to people, I don't make the same kind of movies. Look, that was the Russian president. This is the US president. It's a completely <laughs> different role. <laughs> so, was there any thought at any point about making this uh, a part of the Has Fallen series? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps I'm not saying like like Mike Banning has suddenly become a submarine captain, but right, maybe yes. Joe Glass, who looks a lot like Mike Banning, could be <laughs> That's true. could be like a long lost cousin or something. Yeah, and he calls up his mate Mike at the end. He goes, "I'm trying to save a president. How do how do I do it?" <laughs> you go, yeah, yeah, Mister Mister President. My name is uh, Mike Banning. I mean, uh, <laughs> Captain Joe Glass, and um, I'm here to <laughs> no. No, we didn't. Polyarney has fallen, huh? Polyarney, Polyarney Naval Base has fallen. That's a sequel. That's a sequel. The, the, the Jerry Butler Cinematic Universe. Forget Marvel. Forget Marvel. All your characters teaming up yeah. in the one movie. Are you uh, in? That, uh, yeah, but I just want to say not all my characters. It's just whenever I do these big press junkets, it's for those big movies. And then you want to go, what about my little lighthouse keeper movie, Keepers? You know, yes. what about my... My um my last heist movie, Den of Thieves, or yeah. or my um Family Man about the guy who's kid. So I mean, I laugh, but then I also kind of go, wait, these aren't the only things I do, but they are. <laughs> my, they are a big. It's kind of my brand in a way. Is yeah, I yeah. love making movies that entertain and take you on a ride. The kind of movies yeah. you said, like submarine movies, whether it's a submarine movie or whether it's saving the president or, or, or whatever. And you win some and you lose some. Mm. But essentially, I love making those big movies, big ideas where you go on a ride and mm. you just go in and you're entertained and you're kind of inspired and you have a laugh. And because mm. and, um, when they work, they're awesome. You can't beat them. Gotcha. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Having said that, I, uh, I can't shake this, in, this idea now. I can't shake it. What's this? Just imagine Mike Banning, Joe Glass, Big Nick <laughs> O'Brien, Dracula, the Phantom of the Opera, Leonidas, all coming yeah. together. Yeah. I sense you're not being sold in this, Jerry. Uh, yeah, no, actually, you're right. <laughs> See, no, I mean, by the way, I'm weak-willed. I could easily be convinced. At first, I let my ego get in the way, but now the money's talking. Um, <laughs> you're just thinking, well, now I have to work every, every day of the week. If I'm doing that, if I'm playing all the roles. And... I don't know if I could get Leonidas back again. That was a tough one. <laughs> that was a tough one. I still channel him now when I need strength. I actually channeled him during that movie. I would literally feel him. I would, I would sit and meditate and try and I would almost sense him. I know this sounds a bit wanky, but I would almost sense him burning through time and, and into me and, and, and trust that, that he was in me when I was performing, you know, and mm. what I was saying with my body or eyes or, or to give me the strength to, because I trained so hard on that movie. I just killed myself. But I would think, what I consider killing myself is absolutely nothing compared to what they're willing to do. So I can at least give everything that I can. Yeah. yeah. And um, and 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 still now, at times when I'm struggling a bit, I'll be like, 
come on, Leonidas, where are you? Come on. Show, <laughs> and he show answer, me the he way. He answers the call. Show me the way. And uh, that normally involves me picking up a knife or a sword or something, going hunting people down. It's like, no, 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 Leonidas. I mean, a modern day version of the answer to the solution. <laughs> All right, let's just let's just keep Leonidas in his uh, in his, in his little bottle, his little cave. Don't worry, Jerry. I'm not speaking to him right now. No, no, that's good. That's good. That's kill just, him! That's kill him! <laughs> oh my God! Uh, how many times do you still get asked to do Lita L- L- Sparta? Is that something? Yes. No, don't worry, I'm not asking you to do it. But no, no, no. I just did it. You know, Novak Djokovic. He's he's an old friend of mine. I actually um, met him year, like ten years ago, and then I went to when I went to Wimbledon. I was obviously supporting Andy Murray, but but mm. Djokovic had invited me down, and he said you can sit with my family, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you know, and I says, mate, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm supporting Andy because you know, of course, but I'd never met Andy, but I, but that day I'm next to his box, but I'm with Bradley Cooper, screaming, cheering for Andy with with Djokovic's wife turning around, like seriously, you <laughs> and um, but but then I went. And hung out with him at the US Open. And the night before, he sent me a photo. And it was me on the screen in 300. And he said, this is how I inspire myself. And it was really cool. And then the next day, he won. And I was behind everybody in, in, in the box. And he wins and he hugs his trainer and hugs his wife. And then he jumps through and he goes, this is... And we did it together. This is Sparta. So... Um, it was cheesy as hell, but it was fun. So this year I was in New York again. I went to see him in the final and he won again. Yeah. And he came back up and he did the same thing. He hugged everybody and then he's like, this is And I'm like, oh, oh my God, God, here we go. So I did it there. Yeah. But I, 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 I do try and keep it to a minimum for sure. <laughs> it's a bit... You don't wake up you know, in the morning and go, this is Thursday. And just, yeah, no, you know, no, not at, all, not at all. At least it's not, Christo- it's good- you know, when you remember, it's a better thing to be, because Christopher Plummer is one of the best actors of all time, but yeah. everybody always goes, you know, Christopher Plummer, sound of music. You know? Yeah, yeah. At least it's better to be remembered for <laughs> this is Sparta than, than, than sound of music, because and- he is actually a total bad arse. A bad arse. Bad arse. Bad arse. Bad arse. Bad arse. You Bad mentioned ass. you mentioned Bad, keepers there. Yes, yeah. keepers. That's just no. That honestly, that's just. We only got a minute left, so we yeah. might as well just start saying badass, badass. Bad just finish that. You're that's how the podcast ass. finishes. Um, you mentioned keepers there, which is uh, I'm fascinated by. So I haven't seen it yet. It's coming out next year, I believe. Keepers next year, early yeah. next year, early next yeah, year. It's wonderful, it's and it's you and Peter Mullen. Me and Peter Mullen, this um, young actor called Connor Swindells, mm-hmm. who's really great. Um, and it's three three hander based on um, the, the the mystery of Flannan Isle, which is about 150 years ago when three lighthouse keepers in Scotland went missing, and and all they ever found was um, one chair turned over, a, a table that was set for dinner, and one jacket missing, and they never found them, and or really found wow. out what happened to them. So we created a story of a what if, or what, you know what might have happened. Yeah, it's yeah, this yeah. incredibly dark compelling psychological thriller of of three men there who already have, you know, it's the subtlety of the relationship and the power plays between the three of them, which might not add up to much if they hadn't discovered this boat wrecked on the island after a storm in which there's a chest. And in that Mm. chest, they find something. And every piece of, uh, every part of those relationships that, that you learned earlier on in the movie then are amplified a thousandfold once the stress hits and you know and, and it's just kind yeah. of watching that 
cannot wait. Cleo is is in its incredibly brutal, even when it's not being brutal. You know, it's it's um, it's, it sounds it's, like you're, you're sitting with your fists clenched. It sounds from, cool. It sounds like Treasure of the Sierra Madre a yes. little bit, a little bit of that. Yes. Element. Oh man, can't Very wait. Much. Cannot wait. Are you a karaoke guy, Jerry? My karaoke? Yeah, I used to be until I got boring. <laughs> Until I realized I couldn't sing. <laughs> all, all I'll say is, because we've got to wrap up here, but all right. I'll say is uh, when Empire goes karaoke, uh-huh. uh, we do the Proclaimers 500 Miles, and Peter Mullen's name fits really nicely. Like, or you know the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da bit? Yeah, yeah. You go, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen, Peter <laughs> Mullen, Peter Mullen, Peter Mullen. That right. fits perfectly. Next time you karaoke, you got to do that. Okay. you got to okay. do that. Yeah. All right? Yeah, I will. Again, I don't think that you're convinced. I, you know. <laughs> you just know. <laughs> Jerry Butler, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. Cheers. Great to see you. It's time to finish off with the movie news. And uh, I want to start with Cats. Can we start with Cats? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> So cats. Uh, so Tom Hooper <sighs> is making. <laughs> Tom Hooper is adapting Cats. It is his next movie. Uh, I imagine he's finished filming on his Dark Materials. I think he's only directing a few episodes of that. I don't think he's directing mm-hmm. all the episodes of that. Uh, I'm going to voice your biggest fear here, Helen, <laughs> which is that Tom Hooper and Lin Manuel Miranda have got on so well whilst making oh, his Dark Materials in Wales that one day you will wake up to the casting news that Lin Manuel Miranda has joined the cast of Tom Hooper's Cats. I don't, I don't, I can't, what, I mean, I just... Every whoa. day is Christmas Eve on every the Empire is, Podcast. Every day is Christmas, every day is Christmas. I just, I can't, I don't you, understand. Yes. I don't understand yes. how all of the, what do all these people know that we don't know? All right, so... They must know something, there must be something that is making, so this week's news... This week's news. Um, first of all, we heard that Idris Elba... Big Driss... Will be playing the film's bad guy. McCavity. McCavity. The mystery cat. The Scottish dentist. Jesus. What? And what? I don't know. What is happening? (laughs) Are you you learning this now? I don't understand. Old Deuteronomy. Old Deuteronomy has now been cast and will be played by Judy Dench. Okay. I I don't know. Can I ask a question? Yeah. As someone who's never seen Cats, this oh, is Don't this is a cats. show that is apparently dreadful. It's, it's so bad, and, so bad. And even if it's not dreadful, it's stupid. And yet, really good, serious actors are doing this. Okay, yeah. So let's lay, let's lay it out. Let's 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 yeah. put this down here. So Tom Hooper's making Cats, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, which is based on the, a poem by T. S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. The T. A S. Book of poetry, I believe. Book of poetry. That's correct. Mm-hmm. T. S. In this case, standing for tedious shite, and. <laughs> And uh, the cast so far includes Taylor Swift in her first movie. Yep. Jennifer Hudson, who will be playing Grizabella. Yeah. Uh, who gets, who gets the, the, the one good song. The one good song, Memory. Memories. Uh, memory? Memory. Memory. <laughs> well, there's, like, there's irony for the you. The one memorable song. <laughs> Paige and Alanis. <laughs> and, um, uh, who else? James Corden. Um, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Uh, I thought he was going to be old Deuteronomy. I thought so too. Apparently no, he's... Uh, it, he's somebody not. said Gus the Theatre Cat. Is well, that a thing? it seems to be a thing. Who knows? And then this week, they were joined by Idris Elba and Judy Dench. Now, Judy Dench has uh, squared the circle, as I believe what they call it, because she was actually going to play Grisabella in the original uh, production of Cats in the West End in 1981 and had to pull out like three days before previews began no. with an injury. No. And Elaine Page replaced her. Uh, yeah. So she never got starring cats, but now here she is uh, playing old Deuteronomy, which Cats is. I mean, I've seen it, you've seen it. Uh, I 
could not tell you what it's about, it, but ostensibly it's about a group of cats, literally who, cats. Who keep calling themselves Jellicle cats, <laughs> like that's a thing. Jellicle cats. <laughs> Isn't it a Jellico cat? No, Jellicle. Jellicle. Oh, they is a type of cat. No, no, they, they repeat it many times like it's yeah. meant to mean something. It As doesn't mean anything. testicle, Jellicle, kill. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and they're in a junkyard and something happens and then Some there's a song. Happen. And it's very hard to tell you what happens in this, in this, this musical. There's some uh, dancing. People seem to like the dancing. When I asked yeah. on Twitter why people like cats, some people yeah. said they like the dancing. I, I, I mean, and they're all wearing cat suits, and I don't see some of these people wanting to wear cat suits. I just, I mean, Taylor Swift, like, you know, every other Tuesday, but like everybody else, you know. I don't think I that's don't, what he's going to do, but I can't see what he's going to do. What What's is he, he going to do? What's, it's none of it makes sense. I don't understand. Yeah. I'm trying to understand. Yeah. I'm trying to remember that it's Christmas Eve every day, uh-huh. even on days when they announce casting news for cats. The thing is, though, cats are bigger than they've ever been before in history, aren't they, really? I mean, yeah, certainly since the Egyptians. I mean, they're all over the internet. Have you noticed? No, but if he was making a film about, like, cat memes, like, Look, I Can Has I cats. Can Has Cheeseburger the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yes. that would be less baffling to me right now and more narratively coherent <laughs> than the musical Cats. Wow. There is more of a narrative in I Can Has Cheeseburger... <laughs> Because they've got ceiling cat and basement cat, and they, you know that there is a whole thing. Oh, there's there. a whole world yeah. there. The yeah. world building is extraordinary. That's yeah. More world building than there is in Cats the musical. I, I cannot express to you how much its existence offends me. <laughs> I like musicals, <laughs> and and I was so bored and angry and. It felt like I'd been lied to my whole life when I went to see Cats. Like, why am I here? People told me this was good. What is happening? Uh, yeah. I'm I, just, I can't, every day is Christmas Eve. I strongly considered walking out at, uh, yes. at what I call halftime because I'm a football fan, but, sure. but I believe people call the interfill, <laughs> maybe. Uh, and, but I, because I bought it for uh, my wife, Mrs. Drinking Game, as Christmas present, a Christmas present, oh, it was a birthday present, one of the two. And uh, we went along to see it and, you know, the scales were falling from both our eyes because none of us really knew what it, what it was. We just heard Cats and this no. legendary musical yeah. and Nicole Scherzinger is in it she as Grisabella. Yeah. And she, just, she sang Memory or Memories she sang very, it well. very well. She belted it out, but she's barely in it. And that's, that's like five minutes max. Oh. oh uh, yeah. Anyway, so every day is Christmas Eve. Yes, but I am always drawn to that scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where Mae Questel's character uh, turns up very, very late and wraps her cat in in a packaging and gives it to them as a Christmas present. And I think that's this is what going to be. You're going to shake the gift to the box under the tree and it's going to go, meow, meow. And ah, you're not going to want to look, but Is it alive this. or is it dead when it's in the wrapping paper? It's yeah. alive. No, but it's, it's, it's Schrodinger's it Christmas Schrodinger's present. Schrodinger's cat. Oh, I see. That's a very good joke, Dan. <laughs> well, clearly watching Science Fair has rubbed off on you. Okay. I, I'm going to leave now, but before... Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons. Uh, but I'm going to leave now. Before I leave, I'm going to share the news with you that Iron Fist has been cancelled. The not-so-mortal Iron Fist is no more. Oh, well. How do, we, how, do we, how do we feel about this? I, I'm I feel, fine. I feel... I just know. I just I feel a bit sorry for it. I just... You know, apparently, I haven't seen the second season, which is probably telling in itself, but apparently it's, 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 it's you know, a great, 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 grand, great, I tried to say both words at the same time there, improvement on, on the first season. Well. And, and, and it ended on a cliffhanger, so I understand. Did. 
for my feelings on this, download the oh Pilot TV podcast available on Monday. I'm going to go now. Bye-bye. I'm cutting that bit. Uh, James is gone. What, what do we feel about Iron Fist? Uh, because this is quite a rare thing. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like you could invite all the shows that Netflix has cancelled and it would be a very small gathering. That they tend to let things run. I think there's a historical precedent in Marvel Comics itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Well, neither neither Luke Cage, Power Man, or yeah. uh, Iron Fist were selling particularly well. So what did they do? They teamed them up. And they've already hinted at it in the uh, whichever episode of Luke Cage Season 2 it mm. was. And this is the weird thing. I'm not into Iron Fist, but when he turned up in Luke Cage Season 2... I was got a buzz. I was he like, was, "Oh, great!" He, he was much better with yeah. Luke Cage to bounce off for sure. And I really enjoyed that episode, yeah. and I, and I, I, you know, I, I thought it worked really well. But then I'm not sure that, I, I you know, I'm not sure that Luke Cage needs it. If you see what mm. I mean, um, because what what I like about Luke Cage is it has its own very distinct style. I think the problem was Iron, Iron Fist didn't really have it, and I think perhaps the fact was that because it had more of the mythical magical elements which, you know, we kind of, you know, you got used to in the MCU, mm. in the films. Um, but with, with the, you know, with the Marvel Netflix, it didn't seem to sit so well, you know, because Luke Cage but then, and I mean, Daredevil and Jessica Jones, they kind of on the same plane, whereas Iron Fist is... Well, they are when they work. I mean, I think a lot of them have dabbled, like Daredevil season two dabbled with other shit. Oh, yeah. Unsuccessfully, yeah, which I, I is agree. why they've completely dialed that back for season three then, and gone totally the other way. But then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has actually done some of the mystical stuff quite quite well, actually. Well, I think point. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a different thing, oh, it is isn't it? In terms piece, of the tone and the style and... But at the same time, it's it's you know been able to find a... a place to do that and a mm. way to do that as have the films so it would be odd if this is the only one that can't do you yeah. know what I mean they had every reason to think it would be doable mm. um, but yeah it's um, I, I'm I, I'm not regretting it anymore I don't I don't think I've stuck with all of those shows and I, I should be 100% in the bag for those yeah I'm, I'm two or three seasons behind on the the Netflix Marvel. Yeah, I mean, Dan mentioned Daredevil season three, which drops today, and I, I can tell you right now, I am, it, ah. I, I, I will watch it because I, I, watch I enjoyed, I enjoyed both seasons of Daredevil, but not right away. It's mm. going to take me a while to get round to that. I've seen, I, I've been lucky enough to see uh, a few of them because uh, I, I talked to Charlie Cox last week, and um, how was he? Uh, lovely. He oh, is nice, isn't really he? Really lovely. lovely guy. Got a lot of time for Charlie Cox. And it's really good. And the fourth episode is one of the best uh, episodes of the entire, you know, the entire Marvel Netflix strand that, that you see. It's, it's kind of like, <clears throat> it, it, does, it does its Children of Men episode, shall we say. So, really? um Ooh. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, honestly, if you just, just watch that one episode, you <laughs> kind of just a, In the same for an vein, amazing action scene. The same thing I will recommend... Episode 6 of The Haunting of Hill House. If you haven't seen The Haunting of Hill House yet, Episode 6 is a technical and dramatic marvel. Mm. Uh, mm. Very scary as well. That show's great, by the way. That show's really... I, I, I'm watching it very slowly because I have to sort of pause and watch a couple of episodes of like Parks and Rec <laughs> afterwards to kind of rebalance myself, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, uh, another bit of big news uh, this week that I thought we should mention. Mm-hmm. Um, this is big news for a certain segment of the population and you guys probably didn't even notice it happen. Um, of course but, I did. Okay. Well, Judy Bloom's book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. As referenced in Deadpool. So what? naturally it was on my radar. <laughs> uh, which is a classic uh, of the sort of teen realist literary 
genre. Um, it's been around since 1970. It remains hugely relevant and hugely human and powerful. And it has finally been been sort of greenlit to be adapted for the screen. Uh, Kelly Fremon Craig, who um, directed and wrote uh, Edge of Seventeen, which is phenomenal, um, mm. is the woman in charge. Uh, James L. Brooks's production company is is behind it, and obviously he's got a great tradition of sort of, you know, uh, human emotional drama. Yeah. Um, uh, and and that is fantastic. Judy Bloom has always been against uh, adaptations of her work. Uh, she's now like eighty or eighty something, and wow. is apparently beginning to soften. But it is honestly, this is a genuine classic of its genre. It is. A hugely important uh, book for for a huge number of mostly women, but I'm I'm betting not only women because it's all about just um, it's it's kind of one of those stories that's not a huge amount happens. It's about a girl growing up, going through puberty, uh, figuring out friendships, figuring out boys, figuring out her body, figuring out what the heck is going on with life, and uh, and you know expressing some of that through little, little letters to God. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. So it's it's a brilliant, brilliant book, and I cannot wait to see if they make it a good film. You know, everything you just said there mm-hmm. is exactly what I was going to say. Oh my god! I even had it written down. You can see there, you that know. is wow. That just looked look like phone, it looked like IMDb, but I guess it must. No, it wasn't. I don't no. think so. Oh, okay. I, no, I think that was pretty much so. Shame on you, Helen. Sorry, thinking Chris. that that had somehow passed me by. Also, because I do the Alexa thing every day. Ah. I am privy to the privy to the knowledge to the currents of the Hollywood know-how. news. Mm. Yeah, I'm fully plugged in, which is also why I know this week's been an absolute shit show in terms of big movie news. So, so little news, not a lot knocking around. Hang on, wait a minute. Hang on, wait a Hang minute. On. Here he comes, eleventh hour, Dan. Yeah, well, no, John Krasinski. Ah, oh, what? What a guy. A lovely guy. Another. Yeah, and I'd like Charlie Cox. Got just a lot of time, John just Krasinski. A lot of time lovely for him. guy. A lot of time for him. Mm. Great guy. Super nice. Super super S- great guy. Super duper nice. I'd even go as far as to say. Well, yeah, you've outdone me. I'm not yeah. going to argue. I can't even remember what I was going to say about John Krasinski. Let's just, just talk about he's nice. He's a lovely guy. He's a great beard too. He's, like, oh yeah, he's mm, a good beard. Very good beard. So <laughs> he is writing a Quiet Place two. Hurrah! Which is going to be released in 2020, which is the year the first film set. I understand. Bizarre. Yeah. And hurrah. Yeah. So uh, so he was. It was kind of like uh, he said to uh, to uh, to some magazine called Empire. To me. To you. To you, Helen. Yeah. Then I shouldn't be doing this story because it's it's you that got the thing. The you that he said it to. Oh no, he didn't say this bit to me. Oh, I see. He to, but he, he said when I talked <laughs> to him. I was on set of the first one, right? And he was. I asked him at that point, like, "Is this, you know, have you got a sequel in mind? If this does really well, have you got a plan?" And he said, "I have a notion. I don't know if they'll go for it." Right. He has a notion. How much money does he have? I mean, probably quite a lot at this point. But a notion, Chris. Oh, a notion. Yeah. You should enunciate. I, apolo- I apologize. <laughs> so he said that he had an idea, and he didn't know if the studio would go for it. But if they did, he'd make it. That so voice is genuinely it's scary. Terrible, I don't like that I'm so voice. sorry. Um, anyway, yeah, so uh, he, yeah, it's kind of like, that he's like, oh, if you want to make it, go ahead, I've done it. And then he had the thing of, well, actually, I want to do this, I do want to do this. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by what his take's going to be, whether it continues the story of that family or whether it's just another story in that world. I'd be happy with either. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense to stick with the family, though. I, right? think, it, I think they will. Yeah. I think he will. Yeah. I hope so. So there you go. That's happening. That's some good news. That's some good news. Mm. Um, Damien Bashir has joined Millie Bobby Brown in the cast of Godzilla vs. Kong. Cool. Uh, did you see that um, 
Luca Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino, yes. Luca Guadagnino is uh, apparently making a film based on a Bob Dylan album. Do you see this? I did see this. Blood on the Tracks. Now, no. I'm not a Dylan person, no, uh, so I don't know a lot about this, but apparently it's a sort of a breakup, heartbreak album. Mm. Um, one of the best albums of all time, they say. So. No, that's, that's technique by New Order. <laughs> one of the best, one of the best, and and that's definitely not. But okay, uh, anyway, so that's the thing yeah. that is also out there in the ether. And you know, you might be thinking, well, call me by your name was great, so that'll be exciting. So okay, let's hope so. Do so you think that maybe Dylan could do the soundtrack to this? Call me by your name. Call me, call me, call me by your name. Oh yeah. I didn't think that song could get worse, and yet here we are. Yeah, see, Dylan, he just he he, came, he just comes in here for a second, and just he doesn't like to stick to melody, does he? Likes to make it up. Mm. He just likes to. Remember, I think it was Q Magazine or Q Mojo Magazine. Maybe Mojo voted him the best singer of the past century on the I basis mean, that that's bollocks. well, but that was basically it on the basis that he can't sing and yet has made a career out of it. So yeah. he must have something. Well, given I, mean, I don't know, this is a very controversial Sorry, viewpoint. That went a bit Frank Spencer. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Dan. Thanks for your critique. What was your Bob Dylan impression, Dan? Oh. My. I don't yes. have one. Eyelids. Eyelids. Up my eyelids. What? Great. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's exciting, but of course the the and this is a controversial viewpoint, and uh, sure. I know Bob Dylan fans are quite uh, rabid about their 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 beloved idol, and they don't like this. But the accepted wisdom, the conventional wisdom, is that Bob Dylan is a great songwriter, brilliant, great, sure. writes amazing songs, sure, and other people turn them into great songs. So sure. you know, Jimi Hendrix did the definitive "All Along the Watchtower." The Birds did the definitive "Mr. Well, Tambourine Man." It's it, you know, and so on and so obviously forth. Obviously, Battlestar Galactica did the definitive "All Along the Watchtower." But no, okay. I'm and sorry. Obviously, yes. William Shatner did the de- definitive "Mr. Tambourine Man." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, wasn't the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack called "The Sounds of Cylons"? No. Oh, that's, that's actually pretty good. It was it. it was actually, I yeah, it was but good. there was no Simon and Garfunkel in there. Like it was no, Dylan. Kind of, Do you know I suppose, what I mean? I get what you mean. Yeah, I, I liked it. Though. What are you guys talking about? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, carry on. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that you know the Luca Guadagnino film by Bob Dylan could be great, but wait until someone makes a remake of. Anyway, so there we go. That's it for the news. Oh, and uh, the, the trailer for the Kid Who Would Be King came out this week. Joe yeah, Cornish's it looks new movie. really it looks charming. Really fun and yeah. You know, Andy Circus's kid. He's got the same name as my kid, so there you go. That's a coincidence. Andy, circus. Andy Circus. He <laughs> called your son Circus. <laughs> no, Louis. 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 So, so me, me, Good name me. for a kid who would be king. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Shout out to France there. History. Don't lose your head. Oh, Sid James. Too soon. Classic. Uh, and that's it for this week's Emperor <laughs> Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Panos Cosmatis, director of the Nick Cage, uh, Gorefest, Mandy and Rami Malek, star of the Queenfest, Bohemian Rhapsody. Have you seen that on Carnaby Street, just near where we're talking right now, uh-huh. they have a Bohemian Rhapsody sort of overhead decoration I've, thing? I read about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Let's, we'll, let's walk around there after this yeah, and we'll, let's we'll, do it. we'll check it out. Mamma Mia. <laughs> Will you do the Fandango? All right. No. Okay. Let's bring this bad boy home, shall we? Until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, uh, it is goodbye from Dan Jolin. 
goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to, and I don't want to do this, but officiate at the naked wrestling match between James Dyer, that's, he's presumably gone off to prepare in the old-fashioned style and Dan Jolin. I'm already lighting myself up. Amazing stuff. Helen, do you want to come no, around? No, I'm busy. Very, very busy. So busy. You wouldn't believe how busy I am because I'm so busy. I've seen your schedule. You're not busy. I'm very busy. We'll record it for you. No, no, it's okay. I've I've lost my phone and I've all lost my eyes. electronic means of of, of communication. What a <laughs> right, shame. We'll, we'll just share the audio then. Oh, yeah. no, no, it's all gone. On that bombshell. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Or glistening, in fact. No. No. Bye. <laughs>